0: Welcome to We Thought About Games, the podcast where games are looked at historically, fondly, and critically. I'm your host, Sid Menon, and tonight we'll be discussing Dragon's Dogma, an open-world action RPG developed and published by Capcom for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, but more specifically, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, a re-released version of the game for the Xbox 360, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, and PC. Joining me on this episode are Bo Hamshus. Hello. Gagalore, what's up? And Mihal,
1: hi.
0: So, Bo, how would you get into Dragon's Dogma? Back when Dragon's
1: Dogma was coming out, some fifty thousand years ago, me and Mihal were uh, talking about how we saw footage for the game and thought it wasn't going to be very good. And then both of us got it and we found out it was amazing. <laughs> so, like, eventually, you know, when Dragon's Dogma: Dark Arisen came out, I rebought the game and played through it, like five
0: times in a row. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Alright. Goggler, how about you?
2: I remember when the game came out, I heard that it was pretty good. So I rented it or bought it. The important thing is, I actually didn't think it was that good. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was, like, kind of whatever but fine. And I didn't play more than, like, the first couple hours of it. And then Dark Arisen came out, and it was like, we, like, added a bunch of cool tweaks to the game. I'm like, yeah, now that's how. I'll wait till that's cheap or whatever. I'll give that a try. And I liked Dark Arisen way more than the original version of the game and actually played through it to completion. And they've done so on multiple
3: occasions now.
0: Alright, me? How about you?
3: As Bo said, I originally thought it was going to be terrible and then I started playing it and, uh, <laughs> holy crap. I love the hell out of that game <laughs> it's one of my most played games at this point i've owned three copies of it <laughs> also i've beaten it on hard mode from level one on basically i'm a huge sucker for that and also my beautiful beautiful pawn boy he-man
1: i think all of us are a little bit of a sucker for he-man is the thing
0: well i think he-man has helped all of us greatly in our adventures <laughs> on dragon's dogma all right, and for me, I can't quite remember the very first place I saw it. I think I was just keeping up with Capcom games because they were doing a lot of interesting stuff in that era. It was like Devil May Cry 4 and Lost Planet and stuff. And I didn't have a system that could play it, but uh, I was at my brother's place when the demo for the first version came out. And when I tried it, I was pretty surprised that someone had finally taken Gothic 2, which is a PC open-world action RPG, which I remember playing thing like, I like exploring this world, I like moving around this world and being able to climb up whatever weird ledge I can so I can jump off of a cliff that's, like, 50 feet in the air. But the combat was really bad. And I remember playing Devil May Cry and thinking, I like this a lot. I feel like this could work in a game that's not based on levels and ranks. You just put it in a world. And then Capcom made Gothic 2 plus Devil May Cry. And I was really blown away. And also the character creator, the full versions in the demo, At the time, it was the best one I'd ever seen, and even today, I think it's still one of the best. It just lets you do pretty much whatever idea you have. And that's another thing, when I saw friends play MMOs and stuff, I thought, I wish I could make my character this creative in games that let you create characters. (laughs) Then, in 2017, I had a podcast recording about it that went for roughly seven hours, where I tried to talk about every single thing that was in the game... Uh, with a few friends of mine, you might be familiar with them. Yeah, us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we died.
0: Yeah, pretty much. By the end of it, we were just so completely tuckered
2: out. It was a fun time, but then we realized this is unlistenable.
0: I like Dragon's Dogma a lot. And like with Fantasy Star Online, there's yeah. some things about that game that I didn't mention at all in the podcast that are things I like about that game. And I guess that's always bugged me. And so, with the Dragon's Dogma one, I popped open the wiki and looked at every page, and we almost did, like, an audiobook of the wiki, which I think (laughs) is still pretty good, because it means you don't have to go on the wiki.
1: (laughs) I mean, I would would prefer using the previous recording to going on the wiki. (laughs) But, like, we went through, like, an itemized list of every single thing in the game, and like you said, it took seven hours. And by the end of it, we were all exhausted, I think I was starting to hallucinate a little bit. It was I wanted bit. to die. <laughs> it was pretty. It it was a very comprehensive, very exhaustive list of everything about Dragon's Dogma.
0: Yes, exhaustive and exhausting. Not only because I didn't want to edit four tracks of seven hours of audio, but also after the recording finished, I thought, "Is this really like as personal as I want it to be?" Because There's some stuff that was on the wiki that I didn't even remember, like, oh, Golden and Silver Knights. I didn't remember those were in the game. They're pretty alright, I guess, but putting aside time to talk about them, like, doesn't reflect my experience
2: at all. They're they're thoroughly unimportant. (laughs) I think I only encountered them, I think, twice in the entire game, and it's like... I fought them a lot. They show up in Bitter Black Isle, but they're like they show up like twice. So, we're already <laughs> devoting more time this recording than we should <laughs> be to talking about the Golden Silver. Isle.
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: But it's like, you know, that sort of thing, me, Dr.
1: Lawrence, and Sid all said, you know, oh, we didn't encounter that much. Me Hall's like, I fought them a lot. That's the sort of variance you can expect from this sort of game.
3: Yep.
0: Before we dive into the game proper, I decided to take the development history. This game was pretty notable for bringing together a bunch of high-level talent from Capcom. Most notably is the project's director, Hideaki Itsuno, whose name I first saw in an interview when he was a co-director of Power Stone 2. He's also worked on Capcom vs. SNK, but he's most known for his work on the Devil May Cry series. He came in halfway through Devil May Cry 2 after a previous director who has not been named, completely screwed it up, and they called him in to pick up the pieces. He did what he could with it. I think Devil May Cry 2 is an okay game. A lot of people disagree. I don't think it's great. I think it's okay. But a lot of that he was able to push forward into Double May Cry 3, which brought the character action genre to a whole new level and created a base for other people to work from. Uh, and he also did Double May Cry 4, which suffered in a kind of different way from a lot of HD era games by Japanese companies, where it wasn't that it was technically very terrible or anything, but they had to stretch half a game to a full game. <laughs> so also on staff was the gameplay lead Kent Kinoshita, who also had a similar role on the very first Monster Hunter. It was well received, but it hadn't entirely gotten away from its influences of Fantasy Star Online yet. Kinoshita also worked on the Monster Hunter Freedom games, though on PSP, and that's when the game came to its own and it just exploded in popularity, especially in Japan. But Enough in America that it was a known name that stuck around.
1: Yeah, it's when it stopped being Fantasy uh, Star Light and started being Monster Hunter.
0: And Konosha also worked on Monster Hunter Tri, which was a sort of refresh on the Wii, which became the basis for the Monster Hunter series up until the most recent entry, where they're refreshing it once more. And that's a game that's going to come up a fair bit in our discussions because. Monster Hunter and Dragon's Dogma, obviously with Kenosha's involvement, and a bunch of other animators and musicians and staff, there are a lot of comparisons you can draw between Monster Hunter and Dragon's Dogma, and the changes they made in Monster Hunter World, the newest one, only bring them closer together. Also, we're kind of huge dogs for Monster Hunter.
1: I'm going to try and restrain myself to stop this from becoming. we thought about Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Also on staff was scenario writer Makoto Ikehara, who was a director on a few of the Breath of Fire titles, also was the scenario writer for the Dead Rising games. The music was, for the most part, composed by Tadayoshi Makino, who definitely gives this game a sort of uh, ethereal quality in a lot of the tracks. There's a lot more atmospheric tracks than there are big epic ones, though due to one of the big epic tracks being the You Kill the Big Monster jingle. You will hear that one probably more often. The song most associated with Dragon's Dogma, I think, though, is only in one version of the game. And that's the song Into Free Dongon by BZ, B-apostrophe-Z by Bees. Bees. Yeah. BZ. Their videos get, like, copyright stricken so much that I can't, like, find an interview where anyone says that.
2: <laughs> Good luck finding this song on YouTube. It probably is there somewhere, but it's hard to find. You can probably find a Nightcore remix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Interfree is, is pretty great because it starts off with pianos and, like, slow little things strings. It's going to be a very classic fantasy track, and then an electric guitar rips in, these drums come in, and there's these ridiculous J-rock vocals. Yeah,
2: in English, so it sounds kind of bad, but in like a fun way.
0: <laughs> I listen to the Japanese version, and it's kind of the same like vocal tone and everything, but in Japanese.
3: And it's just playing the hype shit. It will get you pumped in any situation in which you need to be pumped.
2: Only if you're playing the original release. Yep. If you're playing Dark Arisen, you get a version of uh, Eternal Return. Yeah. Which is the actual main theme of Dragon's Dogma. (laughs) probably should have been on the title screen. (laughs) If you're playing the PC version,
1: then you can fix the mistake that Capcom made.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they didn't want to pay the licensing fee for that song again. I don't really know why, but to round out the staff, very interesting to me, they brought in Inon Zur, an Israeli composer who had worked on Fallout and Dragon Age. I expect his tracks to be like the more Western-sounding ones, but they're actually kind of the more weird ones. They're associated with like the Everfall, which is an area that's tied to the weirdest plot twist in the game. (laughs) And also there are vocals contributed by Aubrey Ashburn, which further lend the western feel to the soundtrack I think her stuff is pretty pleasing there are some other tracks with vocals not by her that are not as good
2: Coils of Light namely specifically Coils of Light which has a child Coils of Light is great in that like I kind of I kind of do dig the English version because the the singing is bad but like (laughs) That is one song where you can actually listen to the Japanese version and just be like, "Oh, the Japanese version has a singer who can sing," <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is this is actually good. Yes, yeah, like the Japanese version, I think actually
1: has like a full grown ass woman on it. So,
0: Koza like uses lyrics from Eternal Return, which Aubrey Ashburn did sing for the official soundtrack. I don't know. Capcom is a mystifying company in many respects. Yeah. So. The Pong concept in this game was actually pitched way back in 2000, but Capcom couldn't really find a use for it. And I feel like internet speeds at the time probably would not have been great for the concept anyway. But they did mix it into a concept that Itsuno had for the BBS RPG, like Bulletin Void System, the old version of the internet. The concept he had in 2008. So he began developing that one then. And in 2011, they announced a Capcom's Captivate event, It was 50% done. Itsuno described the project as his dream project, a fantasy action RPG that nailed the action elements. Because a lot of other open world action RPGs at the time, I feel like people didn't even really talk about them as action RPGs because the action was very perfunctory, floaty, and not very solid. But they decided to use their expertise from the Devil May Cry series to give the combat a more solid feel. So in May of 2012, the game was released. It got an average 7 out of 10 from magazines, which is actually kind of higher than I was expecting because the game was quite janky. It didn't run great on any system it was on. No, it didn't. People appreciated how different it was, which is also something I was not expecting of 360 PS3 era magazine ratings (laughs) in 2012.
1: Well, it's definitely one of those games that like, Got sort of a, a lukewarm reception from reviewers, but the actual like user attach rate was way higher.
4: Mm-hmm. I
1: can see that. It, it was a cult game, for sure. More often than not, you heard from people, like, man, you should play Dragon's Dogma. Whereas from reviewers, you sort of heard, like, yeah, it's really good, but maybe, you know, maybe give it a rental.
0: <laughs> but the game was intended to be a million seller. It did hit that, which, god, it's hard to even imagine that being enough to sell a niche game. (laughs) It was enough that they were able to release the Dark Arisen expanded version of the game in April of 2013. This is not an expansion, it is a new release because some of its changes are worked into the core game, among a bunch of other changes. Nowadays, I think it's more accepted that a game will be patched so much that it is as different as Dark Arisen is, but at the time, it was a big ask.
3: There was also the problem limits on how large dlc could be on the Xbox 360.
2: unrelated to what we were talking about dark souls did come out the year before dragon's dogma did (laughs) it's kind of like not entirely where
1: the whole it's like dark souls thing started but it was definitely most egregious in dragon's dogma
3: it was kind of commonly referred to as like dark souls meets monster hunter
2: which is totally wrong no because that's (laughs) dark souls dark souls is dark souls meets monster
3: weirdly the one thing i can see in that is the weight of the combat in dark souls and dragon's dogma feel very similar they both have a really good punch to them
0: the main thing i feel is similar is that they're eastern takes on a classic western genre but they take them in directions that are not what I feel would be what you stereotypically expect. Like, yes, Dragon's Dogma has flashier combat, but it's actually the rest of the things it does with the game that end up being really novel and have that kind of creativity that I would expect out of Capcom.
3: Accidentally gay marrying the clown. <laughs> exactly! Of course, if you really want, you can do the objectively correct thing and just mm. intentionally gay marry the clown.
0: <laughs> After the Dark Arisen release, there was a weird sort of heavy silence around a PC version of the game, because Capcom had begun porting their games to PC and putting them on Steam, but not Dragon's Dogma, which is quite strange because Devil May Cry 4 did look nicer and run better on PC, but it ran pretty damn well on consoles already. Dragon's Dogma did not. That game creaked to life.
1: Oh yeah, that game. OG Dragon's Dogma had a lot of trouble, especially when you got to the the higher end stills.
2: They're talking about magic cannon. <laughs>
1: playing in certain classes like you knew how well you were doing based on how much the frame rate died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it was very strange and I felt like it's something that was on a lot of people's minds whenever Capcom announced anything from April of 2013 through to late 2015 when they announced that they were going to release a Steam version in January of 2016. And they did. It was done by the Polish company Quoque and it's Rock solid. Great PC port. Fantastic port. Oh yeah.
1: Just absolutely solid. It hits all those PC gamer checklist things where it's like sixty frames a second, check, four K resolutions, absolutely. All the FOV sliders, uh, you can stomach <laughs> got those in there too.
0: Let's you use uh keyboard shortcuts too, which is actually maybe the nicest feature. Also, there was a letterboxing effect in the console version of the game. So even if you were playing this game, you know, you plugged it into an HD screen, you weren't really getting the benefit of the full resolution. Uh, this takes those away, so you can see more of the screen at a time, which, outside of looking nicer, is just better for the game.
1: It was especially bad because I think the UI actually overlaps the letterbox parts. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I had to wonder to myself, I was like, why on earth are they doing this <laughs>
3: so it doesn't explode the console i <laughs> would imagine
1: from what i understand it's a stylistic choice and it was a bad terrible
3: stylistic choice <laughs> speaking of bad stylistic choice make sure to go into the settings and turn off the little like a vent camera Oh yeah, the the cinematic camera yeah. the action keeps going But you can't see what you're doing because it's focused on something else to tell you, oh, hey, something's happening.
0: No matter what version of the game you're playing, I'd recommend turning the cinematic camera off.
2: I'll draw its attention. (laughs) And
0: yours, I guess.
1: Just that dramatic zoom in on a pawn going to pick up a stick. (laughs) Cool game, I really did need to know this. glad you alerted me to it.
0: Now what's happening with this giant monster attacking me? I see it has killed me. (laughs) I'm dead. (laughs) And then to round out the releases of the game, in 2017, somewhat unexpectedly, there was a good old games release. The online community features were sort of opt-in because you would have to use the optional community launcher that GOG has, GOG Galaxy. Otherwise, you could just play the game with no online features whatsoever. Which
1: is bad.
0: A lot of downsides... But that does make it the only truly portable, independent version of the game. Yes. Uh,
1: like the main problem with Dragon's Dogma on God is that because uh, it came out so much later than the uh, Steam version, most of the PC player base is on Steam. And I can tell you from experience that you will maybe find a good pawn one out of every 20 or 30
3: pawns that are already included in the game have terrible inclinations.
1: Yeah, If you're, if you're playing offline, then you will never find a good pawn, because
0: they don't exist. <laughs> yeah, Capcom had their own version, if you're playing offline, of the community pawn feature, uh, which are like, party members, but they're all bad, I guess, to punish you for not having good enough internet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I mean, what you can do, and what I did do in my most recent run if you want to play offline, is you can just play only with your pawn, and then you don't have to deal with pawns with terrible inclinations, and your pawn levels up twice as fast.
0: The last few versions are, Japan actually didn't get the PC port in 2016, I guess because a Polish company did it, so they did that afterwards, and it got its PC release in 2017. Also, the Xbox One and PS4 got console retail and digital releases that are based on sort of locked spec versions of the pc port so 1080p 30 fps i think a lot nicer than the other console version
1: it is kind of bizarre to me though they did only manage to do it up to 30 frames uh on ps4 PS4 is a pretty powerful piece of hardware and Dragon's Dogma while it while it does look better on PS4. It's not the greatest looking game on PS4. I mean, this is the same system that runs Horizon Zero Dawn <laughs> at 30
0: frames a second at all times. I feel like if it was an issue of performance, I know Neo does this where you could just drop it to 720p and then get 60 FPS that way. I'd like how the game feels at 60 frames per second more than I think the game looks a lot better at 1080p. I don't think it looks that much better since it's an old game anyway. I suppose the really important
1: thing about the PS4 and Xbox One versions is while they are at 30 frames a second, they never drop below 30 frames a second. Unless you're really, really causing
0: shit to pop off. At which point you should be glad you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: mean, if if you're managing to drop the performance on the PS4 version, then you're probably good. (laughs) I've bought this game a lot. (laughs) Like, I own the PS4 version, I own the Dodd version, I own the Steam version, I own the normal baseline, Tridus Dama, and Dark Arisen on PS3. That's five copies of the game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got Dark Arisen on PS3 digitally on a sale, I think it was 7 bucks or 11 bucks or something. I did like it, but... I'll say this, as someone who does prefer, like, if I can get a game running 60fps and have lower graphic quality or whatever, the game isn't, like, unplayable on the PS3 version. Like, it still feels pretty good. It's just, when you have these other options available, I don't see why you wouldn't just go for those
3: instead. (laughs) Yeah, the PS3 version definitely did sell me on the series, so it's not bad. Yeah, it's like, the the PS3 version
1: is a good version because it allowed us to experience the game, but every other version is significantly better.
0: Yeah, like even a tablet or a decent laptop can run the PC version better than those console versions, so it's just easier. Okay, so I think we can, uh, <laughs> we've can. we been talking about the game in bits and pieces here and there. We're going to get into it. We're going to discuss some of the story elements roughly as they come up, I and mean, we and going to circle back to a couple of them, because the main story of this game... it's it's kind of plain it hews extremely close to what your expectations are except it's much shorter than your expectations are and then the sort of endgame story takes a very bizarre turn
2: stick with it till the end for sure it decides to turn into Mask of the Betrayer for the last (laughs) hour and it's like oh okay this got good (laughs) actually you know what I think Neverwinter Nights 2 is a pretty good example Of what the story of Dragon Zongma is, of, like, the main game being boring as shit, and then, like, expansion is like, hey, you know that, like, one part of the plot that was neat? We decided to make it, like, all about that. Yeah,
0: that's true. The expansion actually works out the interesting part of the plot, which is weird because it's more gameplay-centric.
1: Yeah, the the expansion is Eye of the Beholder. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much (laughs) is.
0: (laughs) The expansion, though, is not called noun of the (laughs) noun.
3: i mean you do kill the beholder before you finish that
0: (laughs) so the game starts with a prologue segment this was also available to play in the demo alongside a very short separate menu option that let you fight a bigger monster with your custom created character
1: it should be noted that there were multiple demos for this game. There was like, I think three demos for the game. And one of them was just like, go fight a Griffin. Mm-hmm. And then the first two demos were so bad that Capcom released the, the demo that most people are acquainted with almost as an apology. <laughs> it's important though, because like this demo is probably the first time we saw a demo where it was like, here's just the first part of the game. Mm-hmm. Play this bit of the game. And if you like it, and you buy the full version of the game, you can transfer your save over.
0: I remember I tried the uh, the griffin fight out in the demo first just because, well, I want to use my created character. I want to see it. I mean, it was cool to run around as my created character, but I had no context for what's going on. Like, it dumps you in the middle of what's a field area in the full game. And then you kill a couple of goblins. And before you're fully acquainted with the controls, then just a griffin busts in. And like, now you have to fight <laughs> this giant thing. And the frame rate's dying and everything's exploding and your pawns are shouting and the camera's jumping over them and you have no idea what's going on.
1: Yeah, it made the game look really bad.
0: Yeah. And this prologue segment is the other part that was in that demo. And it gives you a much more paced experience. You start out as a character named Savan. You're with these other troops and apparently you've struggled to get there based on what the other troops say. You're the only ones left. And you have to take down the dragon and you'll run into a few... Goblins, Breathe Small Fry, you're probably not going to get too acquainted with the controls while you're fighting them. Unless you're like me and you do the thing where you try all the button combinations you can when you start a game. But I did mention how the controls did fix an element of open world games that I wasn't too hot on where the combat's more enhanced. And mainly they do that by having light and heavy attacks, which don't combo together really like in other games. Like the heavy attack's just a separate move. But then when you hold down the right trigger button or shoulder button, it turns the face buttons into special skill attacks that drain a stamina gauge. And you can just do them as much as you want until you run out of stamina. There's no forcing you to combo them together. There are just situations where you might want to.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it starts you off as like the bread and butter fighter, but it's important that they do that in the context of the game just because like, so the fighter has a sword and a shield by default. Uh, and they actually have separate skills. So what it introduces you to is that, you know, you hold one trigger for your right hand, you hold one trigger for your left hand. They have separate skills. Uh, and it's like that for every class in the game except for one.
0: <laughs> yeah. What well, also is pretty smart is when you're holding down the left trigger for your shield skills, that's also your block button. If you're not doing skills, that will just block attacks regularly.
1: The fighter, when you're blocking, will actually actively track whichever enemy's closest to you.
0: Yeah, there's no lock-on for most severe attacks in this game, except for specific ranged ones, but it actually sticks to what you'd want to hit pretty well. Like, I never really ran into situations where it didn't.
1: But yeah, I mean, like, right from the start, though, this tutorial, you got a full complement of, uh, of skills to test out and try. It gives you sort of a taste of what you will get if you play a fighter early on, but it also gives you a chance to just sort of get acquainted with the controls because you're fighting mid-tier enemies, Sivan is level 20, I think. Nice and slow-paced, despite the fact that there's a dragon bearing down on you, blowing fire up your butt.
0: The game does have like in-game cutscenes like, to a really JRPG extent sometimes. Where your character will do a whole bunch of stuff that's not like based on your input at all. After you've fought a couple of goblins, you encounter harpies, which are flying enemies, and they will probably demonstrate the reason you might not want to play a fighter, <laughs> because... Flying enemies, well, I feel like they don't purposely try to get away from melee range or, like, jumping in melee range, they also don't really try to stay in it. Like, they just don't care. The downside to
1: how they present this opening part is, like, they do give you the skill Skyward Lash, I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Uh, and that is the fighter's way of combating flying enemies, because it's, like, it's almost a straight up, like, slash above your head.
0: Also, though, when I saw that name, I was thinking Devil May Cry. Oh, it's going to be, like, high time. I'm going to shoot up into the air and do a cool slash. Nah, there's a skill, like, later that does that. This is not that one.
1: It does have a an extended hit bot. It will actually hit beyond the extent of the sword.
0: Yeah. The damage calculations in this game are very arcane compared to how straightforward some other stuff in this game is. But generally, with attacks that are focused on strong individual hits, not, like, multi-hits, it will do more damage than your regular attacks. So it'll have, like, a, a bonus attached to it.
1: The primary thing for it is, like, you're not using that attack to deal damage to them. You're using that attack to knock them out of the air. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a sort of stagger mechanic in the game.
1: It's just that uh literally every other class, including Warrior, has better ways of dealing with flying enemies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bummer. You can't just, like pull a Captain America and throw your shield at it, but I guess, like, it wouldn't come back, so that'd probably be really bad. <laughs> that'd be kind of funny if you just
1: throw the shield, it hits the enemy, it's like, yeah, I hit him, and it just falls over, and you have to get your fucking
0: shield. Kill the enemy over, like, a cliff edge, so it just falls into a pit, and you don't have a shield anymore.
1: It falls into the fucking ocean, and you can never get it back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are items you can grab, like I mentioned, there's some stuff reminiscent of Dead Rising. You can grab some items in the environment, like rocks or crates and stuff, and throw them. It's kind of difficult to aim. Except for exploding barrels, which you don't especially have to aim. I never tried throwing stuff at enemies much. It can be pretty effective, surprisingly, but it's just really awkward. <laughs> They're also throwing knives, which I, I thought they were just an item you could give to people as gifts, so I never tried using them as weapons. Yeah, you can,
1: you can use them, it's just that it sucks to use them even a little bit. Things like rocks and
3: throwing daggers are basically useless.
1: We're talking a lot about stuff like, oh yeah, there's this thing you can do and it fucking blows.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Trust us, it's really good, you guys.
0: (laughs) The thing is, I'd say, outside of the weakness you have against flying enemies with Fighter, like I mentioned, they don't especially try to get away from you either, though, which can often lead to them trying to dive, but they're at ground level, so they just kind of stay in place. And... I feel like every class is at least good to play as in most situations and then some classes are just great to play as which is a balance I'm much more okay with than here's the viable stuff and here's the terrible stuff you never want to do.
1: Oh yeah, and like, the way this game does classes, it actually actively encourages you to play different classes
3: at like a whole bunch. Yeah. I will say, there are times where it just utterly sucks to play (laughs) warrior.
0: Yeah, well, there's times they're bad to play as some classes, but they're very situational. Running around and generally doing anything you do in Dragon's Dogma is at least fine with Mm -hmm. all the character classes. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't venture out into the open world and explore as a warrior. I might not want to go into specific encounters as a warrior, but that's different.
1: There's specific things where you'd be like, well, maybe this wasn't the best choice.
0: Another thing that you'll probably notice about uh, combat in this game, too, is that having party members helps a lot. Like, there's some enemy status effects or attacks where you will be kind of locked down by them. Like, the harpies can sing, which will put you to sleep. There are dog enemies that will grab onto you, and you have to actually, like, rotate the analog stick really fast to break out of it, which is, again, like, feels very action-y in what is an open-world RPG. But your teammates can break you out of that much faster if they can do it for you. Also, if your teammates grab an enemy, they will take extra damage when you attack that enemy.
1: It also does start you off with a pawn, and then you get two more shortly after starting the tutorial.
0: Yeah. Pawns have a weird role in the fiction, which will be explained later, but pretty much they are a race of people that are rather problematic (laughs) because they're like a race with no willpower of their own except to follow the Arisen, the hero... I guess the fact that no one does anything untoward with them, it's like we'll help you on your adventure. Alright, let's go on an adventure. <laughs> it's like the saving grace of the pawns in terms of like the fiction and how I feel about the game. And
1: also, I mean, there is one notable exception
0: in the fiction. That's in the expansion. Oh, well, we mentioned the Skyward Lash ability hitting above your head. You'll actually see its other use for abilities like that in general too when you get to the And because a giant chimera jumps out, this is the big banner feature of this game of these big monster fights. Because this thing has three different heads with different abilities. One of the heads is also a tail, it's a snake head tail. And you can grab onto these different parts of these big monsters and climb around on them to attack different parts of them. Somewhat reminiscent of Shadow of the Colossus.
3: It's also worth noting that in hard mode, the Chimera will
1: one-shot you. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you fight this uh, this, this uh, Chimera. You know, you get you know climbing around on and dealing damage to specific parts of a monster. Also, it gives you the first chance to hear the best theme in the game. The
0: themes around the big monster fights are pretty good. This. A few that'll show up a lot more often but there are big monsters that have their own specific themes for fighting them it's actually I think every
1: single large monster in the game has its own theme yeah or at least every family of large monsters like go- uh, chimeras and gore chimeras have the same theme but with the Gore chimera having um, added electric guitar <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of like sort of like how this plays out is like the the harder versions of monsters have electric guitar in their theme.
0: so after you beat this i think it also just continues on if you die right
1: no matter what win or lose you get to keep going it puts you right in the character creation
0: yeah if you kill it though you'll see a cutscene of this big door opening and a voice will call to savan and then it'll fade out and yeah you'll get to use the character creator which like i mentioned at the top is really good in terms of options really wide number of body types (laughs)
1: It's extremely extensive, and everything you do in this particular character creation setup has some sort of gameplay consequence.
2: You want to make your stance so weird that your arms clip into your torso? You can do that. <laughs> you can do that easily, by accident. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, like, you know, there's a whole dichotomy between, like, tall and short, and uh, thin and large.
0: Yeah, it does actually take some physical characteristics into consideration mechanically but i would say just make who you want because they all have some advantage yeah like being a smaller character who can walk faster and run without using sprinting that takes stamina is kind of nice but you can
1: only carry two sheets of paper before you become overpowered
3: (laughs) (laughs) if you're going to play like a fighter or a warrior maybe Don't make yourself really small and light, because that is a pain. (laughs) That's funnier. I mean,
1: definitely just play what you want, because like it's not that big a deal. It it will have like you you will play differently depending on what your character looks like, but you can honestly get away with it if you want to play uh, the smallest fighter or the
3: largest mage. It's mainly just kind of annoying having to constantly remove everything <laughs> that gets in your inventory always.
1: Yeah, but you can fix that later on. He's <laughs> bring He-Man.
0: If you do want to play as a very small character, then you can just shove all the random crap you pick up onto a very large pond. So just make yourself a friend and just shove all the crap into their inventory. Once I realized you could do that, I was actually playing a huge character, but even having a small character who could just take up some of the slack on my inventory was great. There are some things that you can do with your character's, like, posture that don't really affect anything. Like, you can make sure so your character's default stance is kind of hunched over. The first character I made actually looked like that. And I was like, oh, okay, is it going to be kind of brutish and walk around? Then I picked a Strider, which has is, like, pretty much Legolas. <laughs> and you just go into this, like, awesome martial arts stance and you just have a completely different look about you i mean that's kind of funny but it is also and i understand why because it'd be really difficult to incorporate all those posture changes in but i just say don't go in expecting that
2: yeah can i mention that according to dragon's dogma the difference between the biggest macho super huge man and being the daintiest of ladies is how high you hold your arms up away from your body <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the highest setting
0: is just like. It looks like when Superman is putting on a show and blocking shit with his sternum.
1: <laughs> Either you're like a pigeon toed, hands behind back anime lady, or you are like Zhao Yuan from from Dynasty Warriors <laughs> with your fucking arms all the way out. And like, you're basically T Pose.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. Also, one of the best additions in Dragon's Dogma Darker Risen was that they added a few extra voices including one that's extremely deep-voiced and one that's extremely high-pitched voice, like Alvin and the Chipmunk
0: (laughs) levels. Yeah, I think a lot of people's joke pawns have voices like that. You can pick a voice based on just whatever attitude you like. Your main character won't say much, but it It does matter for when you create your main pawn, and you can pitch the voice still. So if you have a character whose attitude or lines you like better, you can still have them be a pitch you want. And the great thing about making your character is you probably made a very cool, extremely protagonist-looking person and then you get to the intro cutscene of the game where you're in a very peaceful, small fishing village and everyone looks roughly like Grecian fishermen. And then your character shows up in the cutscene wearing fisherman's rags. And my first character on the PS3, I just happened to make them look like a lady version of Ganon from Zelda. <laughs> so among all these like slightly tan people, is a person with black skin and red tattoos, super buff and huge. Like,
3: <laughs> yeah, my first character was a fabulous queer elf. So. <laughs>
0: In this cutscene, you'll show everyone hanging out for a sec until this big dragon shows up and starts absolutely wrecking the place, and you get control for a little bit, and it tells you to fight the dragon. If you run far enough away, it'll trigger the next cutscene, but, like, come on. Play the game.
1: I mean, honestly, the, the faster way to trigger the cutscene is to run into the fire, and it's breathing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it takes a second, and you just, like, okay, so, like, any hit from the dragon will instantly kill you. <laughs> And you can do no damage. <laughs> you gotta avoid getting hit so that you can hug Grigori, <laughs> the best
3: dragon. Grigori's.
2: <laughs> no, he isn't. He's a prick. <laughs> he just happens to be a prick in a way that is fun. <laughs> yeah,
0: but after you have done enough hits or you take any damage, uh, you'll get a cutscene of your character sticking a sword into the dragon's hand. He will look vaguely amused at this. Then pin your character down, and with just the tiniest flick of his finger, uh, rip your heart out with their nail and absorb it into their mouth. And eat and eat it like a gummy bear? Y- you swallow gummy bears whole? <laughs> you don't chew gummy bears? Well, I mean, it's a very small gummy bear. You see how
1: big how big <laughs> That's the dragon true. is by comparison to a human heart rate?
0: <laughs> I think you'd probably get the picture that he's not eating it for sustenance. <laughs>
1: What's that tiny candy that, like, sucks a whole lot? Dots? (laughs) (laughs) Gigi Fruits? Yeah, Gigi Fruits. (laughs) You know how those things are, like, the size of your pinky nail, maybe?
0: (laughs) That's kind of how it is. Yeah, Grigori is huge. I mean, like, it's not surprising when it takes no effort for him to rip your heart out. But then the dragon flies off after doing this, and your friend you were waving to earlier, she runs up to your character... And then you wake up the next day, and you hear a voice telling you, come get me, and you can pick one of three weapons that determines your starting class.
1: Or you can be like, no, (laughs) and and try to walk out the door like four or five times, and eventually he'll be like, well, fine, idiot.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I do like the fact that Kina, or as I like to call her, Kinoa, Runs up to you and tries to resuscitate you when your
0: heart has just been ripped from your body. In all fairness, you are alive. Kina realizes that your breathing is the thing. Though even still, won't be like, "Oh, I know what to do next." (laughs) Just start digging (laughs) a grave.
2: You're breathing. (laughs) No, she needs to run into the forest and nearly die, and then decide to join the church later.
0: And nearly die.
2: And nearly die again.
0: But yeah, you are still alive and you are what's known in this world as an Orisen, where the dragon will rip someone's heart out, and they will come they will come back to life. They're not dead somehow. Um, they stop aging and they can command these things called pawns, which are the things that we mentioned in the prologue, the other party members. People remark on this as a thing that is known in the world but is still very weird.
3: I mean pawns are weird and incredibly dumb.
0: Yeah, like, one NPC says, like, oh, they just stand there and rot on the spot if they didn't get any commands.
1: They seem to show a little bit more autonomy
3: than that, is the thing. Yeah, they're too busy picking up items in the middle of combat.
2: <laughs> Admittedly, though, you're playing the Arisen. Do you think that when you, the player, are not there, all puns just deactivate and stop moving? <laughs>
3: No, what they totally do is start picking things up and healing random objects. They're not without
1: willpower like the game describes them. They're like a bunch of people playing little big planet, they want to try and figure out everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they seem to be like very curious about humans. Like they do also refer to themselves differently from humans, they so like, oh you humans sure make a lot of expressions it seems all roads lead to
3: Grand Souls.
2: Well, yeah, because they only built one big fucking city (laughs) in this stupid, empty expanse (laughs) of world. Like, I I really like Dragon's Dogma, but I am definitely the person on this podcast who has the most criticism of the base world and game of that. It's so empty and full of nothing.
3: (laughs) I do like that they kind of made every little nook and cranny filled with items
0: it's weird because i felt like when the expansion added a dungeon area that's just the most dungeon ever that i'd be like all right well then clearly this is what i want but i felt myself, like weirdly missing the fields like not because they're great but because it's nice to have an open space we could sum it up by saying i think we all wish that it was a nicer open space
2: yeah It's exactly as interesting as a field in real life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shit, how many undead live in Texas?
2: (laughs) Not undead, but, like, you might run into another human you can talk to. Like, there's stuff that happens in real life fields. (laughs)
3: I mean, I'm a biologist. I am very fascinated by the things that live in fields, which don't happen to live in Dragon's Dogma fields. It's mostly just grass, bandits, and wolves that asexually reproduce. i was about to say,
1: I'm a game designer. They should have put a little bit more stuff in this
0: field. Yeah. Even as much as I like it, Itsuno himself said that they only achieve 60 to 70% of what his full vision is. So. There are a lot of parts in this game where there are hints of something very big and very in-depth, but it's only done on a very functional level. There's not stuff you can run into the fields that's like a cool side activity, there's stuff you can run into the fields that you can fight, or someone is being attacked by stuff which you then fight. So
1: vocations?
0: Yeah, when you picked uh, one of those three weapons at the start, you picked a starting vocation. You can change this. Do not worry about this being a big permanent decision. Like, I guess that's why they let you leave after a while in case you're scared about it, but it's a minor investment at best.
2: In fact, you'll probably pick something that isn't one of these three because these three are all kind of
3: bad. <laughs> Especially Mage, because that's it's basically a class 4 pawns since you're just a healer with some not- Very good spells.
1: Definitely the least action-y of the three.
0: Yeah, the way magic works in this game, uh, I guess we'll mention, because it's got another layer to it. Some abilities you can charge up, like with any class, but mages specifically have this meter that fills up, and it needs to fill up to allow you to do the spells. That's the investment. There's no mana in this game or anything like that. It's just charge time, and you can't move in a lot of cases. So you have to invest that. And there's a stamina cost, but that's short-term as everyone else's stamina.
3: Some of the stamina costs are ridiculous, though, especially, like, Maelstrom.
0: Well, Maelstrom also summons, in like, a real-ass yeah, tornado. <laughs> so.
3: It's literally one of the strongest skills in the game.
0: It's not like a fantasy tornado where it's like, oh, it's gonna <laughs> suck in this and this. Like, No, it grabs, like, the physics objects, sucks other stuff in. If you're inside it, you can't see anything. This game does go all in in some very appreciable aspects.
3: I do love that it also juggles everything in it. <laughs> I sort
2: of appreciate the fact that Dark Arisen gave vocations to the humanoid enemies that were not in the original version of the game. But I also, on the other hand, hate that one of those vocations is Sorcerer because then they have Maelstrom to use against you. Yes, the skill
0: which will <laughs> kill you and then you can
2: use the one item and bring yourself back to life. It will kill you several times. This is actually something they straight up toned down in, like, later releases. Because, like, in the original release, if you were killed in Maelstrom, you would need to use, uh... Wakestone the second you died or it will make you restart from a continue. That means you died because of Maelstrom. I need to use a Wakestone. I'm still in the Maelstrom and there's no way to get out. So you (laughs) need to use like four or five Wakestones because Maelstrom lasts for like a minute Mm -hmm. for some reason. It lasts for such (laughs) an unnecessarily long time. And then like the later versions of the game, they're like, no, Maelstrom will only... Kill you when you hit the ground. <laughs> you might only need two wake stones because for some reason you'll still hit the ground in the middle of it, <laughs> <laughs> and then just immediately get sucked back up.
0: <laughs> That's why with spell casting classes there is that buy in time. Even like a ranged elemental attack can be pretty good because it saves you from having to do anything like carry elemental weapons. I would use, like, non-elemental rage attacks, which might not always be effective. But with other classes, the immediacy is just so pleasing to play.
3: The other problem is, like, mages, you just end up being a heal bot for your
2: pawns. And the, the problem with having a mage pawn try to be a heal bot for you is they will literally only be a heal bot. They will decide to never do anything that isn't
3: heal you. I mean, i found, like, sorcerers are actually really useful
2: because they don't get the heal ability
3: (laughs) yeah true
0: you might get the impression that that's going to be the main appeal of having a magic using pawn around because rook the first one appears in the story has a healing ability and when you take damage in combat you'll take some permanent damage and then some red damage on your health bar which can be healed by healing magic and you won't have to use items to heal that but you should get in the habit of using healing items instead. Basic healing items are just herbs, which are very lightweight, so you can carry a bunch of them.
3: At like level 200, having a mage is really nice. It barely heals you when you use little herbs. But also you're level 200. (laughs) Yeah, level infinity, technically. Ah, yes.
2: The Bo can speak to having a level two hundred mage pawn around. <laughs> How useful was Taco
3: ever, Bo? Uh, not useful. <laughs> How useful was He Man?
2: He Man is marginally more useful. Marginally than Taco. more useful.
1: The thing about Taco is like Taco would stop what he was doing at any given point to just try to heal. Whereas if it was He-Man, he would always try to do that super light, strong, fucking your life ends 30 minutes from now attack. But if he hit something with it, they fucking died. He-Man is bizarre, because I think He-Man secretly has all the inclinations.
0: <laughs> we mentioned them a couple of times, that's the behavior your pawns will tend towards. And it's affected by a whole bunch of factors. You can't ignore it and successfully
3: beat this game. Yeah, the onus is on you to beat the game. But I have found that sorcerer pawns, if you're a sorcerer and they all have tactician, they will be extremely helpful because they will not only help you speed up your cast times by also casting the spell, there's a group casting mechanic where you can share charge times and reduce them. Yeah. But at the same time, they still also cast that spell themselves at the end. Mm -hmm. So, if you're a sorcerer with three sorcerer buddies, you can tear through things.
2: Additionally, I I should mention that ranger pawns are actually good. Yes. Like, for some reason, they function correctly, whereas none of the other ones do.
1: (laughs) They do precisely what you expect them to do at any given point, which is they will shoot. And they're real good at it. They have perfect accuracy.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty great. So we've talked about fighter in the intro and we mentioned mage and like spellcaster mechanics, and I mentioned making a strider earlier, the Legolas class. That's probably the most versatile, like easiest class to start with, because you both get paired close range daggers, and instead of a shield, your L button will draw a bow. And you have skills for both of those, and you could just shoot arrows regularly too.
1: The good thing about the Strider is they secretly hand you the best weapon in the game from the very dead go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the rusted bow, if you keep upgrading it, will gain an ability to give enemies statuses that put them in slow motion.
3: And it works on bosses.
0: Yes, some bosses it does not, but far fewer than you would think for an rpg
2: the ones you need it to work on it totally does it works on the secret final boss of the dlc that's all you need (laughs) it for just because otherwise Damon fucking flies all over the place and wrecks your shit yeah
3: the secret with strider is that you will get helm splitter and that will be all you will ever use
0: there are a few dagger techniques you get. It takes a little while to get Helm Splitter, but the dagger techniques are pretty good. And actually, the fighter has this as well, where they have a skill that is a sort of rush attack. With the Strider, you can keep mashing it, and you'll do like a bunch of runs past a single enemy to hit them multiple times. Whereas with the fighter, it's a single like dashing slash attack that knocks enemies back or stuns them.
2: It's Stinger with
3: knockback. Yeah, Stinger from <laughs> Death Cry. It's really nice. The problem with Strider's attacks is that a lot of the skills do very little damage outside of 100 Kisses. Yes,
0: but 100 Kisses, which as it sounds like is a multi-hit, I think Scarlet Kisses is the first version, but it's a multi-hit attack. You can do that while you're mounted on the monster, because you don't have your full range of moves when you're mounted on monsters, which can be kind of hilarious when you're playing as like a warrior and you've got this big hulking sword but your mounted attack is to just bash things with the pommel of the sword repeatedly.
2: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
0: Like, you still do, like, damage, like, not as much as a full big hit, but it still, like, does appreciably more damage than other mounted attacks, but it looks very silly, and you also miss out on being able to use your skills. It
2: makes the Beholder fight hilarious. (laughs) Meanwhile, like, if you're a Strider and you have Scarlet Kisses, you can do the actual coolest thing in the game, in my opinion. That fight has a gimmick where, like, the boss does this setup for an attack. It will one-hit kill you if you don't deal with it. But if you do deal with it, there's this orb. And if you hit the orb, it shoots beams at the boss and damages it a lot. So normally that's as fine as you can hit the orb and, like, you can combo off this orb and it does a lot of damage but if you're a, you're some kind of class that you can use daggers with you just be like all right scarlet <laughs> kisses time to hit this orb a hundred thousand times <laughs> yeah but you just like shoot a torrent of beams it rules and this is the coolest shit
3: my favorite thing about scarlet kisses is the thousand kisses upgrade to it on top of one of Magic Archer's ability is Immolation, which has you set yourself on fire.
0: This is a weird interplay with the classes. The other bow variant classes don't learn new dagger skills, so you have to play a strider to get those. I mean, the bows end up overtaking the daggers as the main damage dealer, but Mm. it's good to have, especially if you want to have one elemental weapon to take along with you.
3: When you grab onto, say, a Wyvern's heart and start doing Thousand Kisses while you're on fire, they will explode. (laughs) (laughs) It is absolutely hilarious seeing how quickly their health bar decreases.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And on top of Fighter, Strider, and Mage, there are Advanced Vocations, which give you a new weapon to use, and sort of focus on offense which is why ranger is so good for pawns because they're not good at defense anyway or strategy so just giving them something offensive to focus on is good outside of ranger and like mage at high levels warrior is not
2: that great to play
0: (laughs) because warrior gets they're called long swords but they're big two-handed swords
2: they also get the giant hammers yeah war hammers and
0: ranger gets long bows which are just Bigger. There are different class of weapons, though, that you can't use as the other bow-using classes. And sorcerers get archer staves. staves, I guess.
3: Archstabs. staves. There's an I in there.
0: I don't know. This game has a lot of old-timey translation choices <laughs> in it, so it's not just like potion of strength or potion of magic. It's decoction of bandily. Vulgarist lord tone.
2: It's a lot of Shakespearean
3: English. The Rotunda of Dread,
2: <laughs> Sage's Periapt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for being such an important item in this game. I don't actually know what Periapt refers to. I never thought to look it up. I don't know what an actual Periapt is.
1: I've already looked it up.
0: What's a Periapt?
1: It is an item worn, worn as a charm or amulet.
0: Ah. Uh, but in this game, I guess you just smash them in your hands and consume their power because they only last for like 30 seconds. You eat them. Yeah. Just gonna eat some veterans' medallions.
4: <laughs>
0: mm.
3: Also, a, an odd note about the translation to avoid having to make dialogue for different gendered arisons, everyone just refers to you as either the arisen or sir with an E.
2: Yeah, sir is an antiquated term
3: for a knight.
2: Yeah, it's, it's an actual gender neutral term. Which is pretty good, actually. I kind of like that.
3: Yeah, it's pretty neat.
2: Then there are
0: hybrid vocations. You either have to get all the way to Grand Store in the Big City or go to the DLC area, which you can do a bit earlier. Mostly because there's a very lengthy thing between when you can access the DLC area and the Big City. The three hybrid vocations are Mystic Knight, Magic Archer, and Assassin. Mystic Knight is Magic plus Melee. Magic archers, magic, plus bows. And assassin is swords plus daggers, plus bows, plus shields.
2: I I might get a bit of pushback on this, but these three classes are the good
3: classes. Oh, yeah.
2: Like, sorcerer's good, ranger's good. Not as good as how hilariously good these three classes (laughs) are. Let's just all be
1: honest here. Just quick pull. How many runs have you ended as something other than a hybrid vocation?
3: Zero. (laughs) One?
0: Was that, like, a novelty run to purposely not be a hybrid vocation?
3: I just wanted to try Sorcerer.
2: I should also point this out, out of how many
3: good question i don't even remember if there were so many <laughs>
2: exactly the thing is you usually end up as a, an assassin or a magic archer and mystic knight is also good yeah i ended my first run as a mystic knight mystic knight is also good
0: yeah the funny thing is mystic knight compared to advanced and basic vocations is hilariously broken but the other two hybrid vocations are so much more broken that it makes mystic knight <laughs> oh look God. pretty fair. So that's a good upgrade
1: Mist at Night is the most balanced class in the game because you get it and it feels appropriately powerful for what you're doing with it. Assassin and Magic Archer are disgustingly overpowered.
3: Yeah, for Magic Archer, which is my main and favorite class. For one, you have Ninefold Bolt, which does so much damage, it's just absolutely absurd. Yeah,
0: I mentioned attacks having lock-on. Magic Archer's attacks are like having multiple different brands of lock-on laser.
3: You also get Ricochet Arrow, which will stun lock enemies in the right areas and also basically just completely tear through their health. Mm
1: -hmm. Magic Archer is like, uh, you know what you need in this fantasy RPG? You need the QAAMs from Ace
3: Combat. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Magic Archer gets a dagger skill that has a very interesting property of basically being a periapt, which buffs your damage a ton. Yeah, can't you cast it multiple times, too? You can cast it up to four times. Yeah, Magic Rebalancer is good. <laughs> it's just
1: really, really ridiculous, but, like, Assassin gets a skill, it's called Douge, and it upgrades all the way to the skill, I think it's Dire douge. It's Dire Gouge, but then if you put on the bitter black item, it's Deadly Gouge. And Deadly Gouge uh, might as well just be called take a couple of health bars off every time I use this. because like
0: <laughs> For Assassin, Gouge is a mounted only attack, but hey, the strongest enemies are generally things you can grab onto anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you grab onto them, and then you hammer the button that you map Gouge to. And you watch as you slow, uh, I, I say slowly, but I actually mean very rapidly win the fight.
0: <laughs> the first time I uh, decided to fight a dragon enemy, you encounter one in the main game uh, for the end game. And it was very intimidating and I was very weak at that time. So when I tried the Dark Arisen areas, there are some places where you can encounter dragons earlier. And I just ran for it because I was still kind of nervous about them. Then I decided to try my luck at one and I was playing an assassin and I think I had done gouge enough on other enemies to get deadly gouge and I got to the weak point the heart and I mashed it and I killed the dragon <laughs> and then I just got absolutely <laughs> like absurdly fearless and there's like an arena and you can carry a certain item into it that will summon the stronger enemies and one of those arrangements has Two lesser dragons in it. I'm just like I'm invincible now. I have the power of God. I just jumped in it, And guess what? I won. So
1: <laughs> okay. So also a thing assassin can do, uh, and I guess this is also a thing that Strider can technically do, but assassin can do it better. You can get explosive arrows, and you can combine them with a parry that increases your attack power. So you can have a pawn, say a he-man shaped pawn, <laughs> uh, carry around like four hundred and fifty explosive arrows, and a whole bunch of uh, Conqueror's Parry apps, you can get real strong real quick, and then you can uh, just watch the game die, and whatever you're attacking just disintegrate. Five-fold
3: flurry and tenfold flurry with explosive arrows.
1: Tenfold flurry is hilarious with explosive arrows. Most of the
0: games <laughs> try to sort of limit your ability, like, as as a fan of explosive arrows is just, like, concept and like, weapon to use in games. They try to limit you a lot. I think you can only carry like five exploding crossbow bolts with you tops in Dark Souls (laughs) 3. Dark Arisen, if you're willing to deal with the weight, you can fire multiple flurries of ten exploding arrows at once. Extremely rapid. Like, it's not slow at all. Like, I mentioned their charge moves. You don't charge this one. (laughs) It's super fast. It's almost like semi-automatic, like, where you just fucking,
1: you can do it as fast as you press the button.
3: One fun little note about Magic Archer, they have two particular skills, one of which Assassin also gets Instant Reset, which basically lets you stop any animation you're currently doing.
1: It is a fighting game cancel in an action RPG.
2: (laughs) But unlike fighting games, it includes being
3: knocked (laughs) down. If you're knocked down, you can just use instant reset and you are instantly standing up, no animation between. But combining that with another skill, Sunflare, you kind of hop while on fire and then burrow your dagger into the ground with an explosion. But if you jump, use Sunflare, and then use instant reset, you can do Sunflare again and have the longest and highest jump in the entire game, and it is really satisfying.
2: Mm -hmm. I've realized something, which I, I would like to make a clarification here. Of You may, listener, be wondering, we're talking up all these classes, these hybrid vocations, and how good they are, and you may remember back to when we were talking about pawns are always bad unless they're like a ranger might be thinking, well, if these are so good for players, how do they fare as pawns? Well, the answer is I think they realized how broken this shit was, because pawns aren't allowed to play hybrid (laughs) locations. They just don't get them. So you will never see a pawn who is a magic archer, an assassin, or a mystic knight. (laughs) Can you imagine
1: a full party of assassins or fucking magic archers? (laughs) Did not one of you crashed the game as a Mystic Knight with all the abilities? I, I did. I did. I nearly melted my PS3 by using it. Okay, so there's a still that Mystic nice Knights did called Great Cannon and in the original release of Dragon's Dogma, uh, there was also a still, and you can still get this still in Darkerism, but it's different. Uh, there's a still called Ruinous Sigil. The setup is Drake Cannon, whenever it takes damage from any source in the original Dragon's installment, it will fire off like five bolts of magic energy, which on their own don't do a whole lot of damage, but you can get an augmentation that makes your stills last longer. Uh, you use that, so you put down two Great Cannons, and then you put down a Ruinous Sigil, and you watch
2: as the frame rate dies. <laughs> <laughs> because what Ruinous Sigil does is it damages everything in the area that it is.
3: I think they might have patched that. Yeah,
2: they patched it so it will not damage the magic cannons. Yeah, they specifically changed it
3: to it only damages enemies. But of course, you have other options to still fire a ridiculous amount.
1: You want to know what your other option is? You hit it with your (laughs) mace.
3: Yes. There are also skills that the magic knight has that do multiple hits.
1: No joke, just personal experience. In original OG Dragon's Dogma, I was in uh, like the last part of the game, and I had this setup where I could cast stuff really fast. So I managed to do three dragons <laughs> out before I put down Ruinous Sigil. And when I did that, I put down Ruinous Sigil, and like I heard a bunch of noises from it blowing everything up. And then uh, the game hardlocked, and my PS3 crashed, and I had to reset it. <laughs>
0: That's great.
1: And I'm like, well, I guess I win Dragon's Dogma.
3: But yeah, the other gimmick that Mystic Knight has is a skill called Dark Anguish. Every attack you do does an extra hit every time, and there are some attacks that do tons of extra hits, and together you can tear through things health.
1: Okay, so the thing that makes the vocation system great is that pretty much at any point you can go talk to an NPC and change your vocation. And this is how you really, like, stat yourself out. Yeah. Every class has different level, like, different stat growths. Like, if you want more HP, then you change over to Warrior for a little bit, and you get a whole bunch of HP. Or, like, if you want a whole bunch of stamina, you switch over to Strider, or like I do, and I start as a Strider, and you have a ton of stamina. You know, and you could do that at any point, and you could basically not ever really fuck yourself
3: out of being good. Unless you do something like play Sorcerer for the entire game and then want to be an assassin. That's not
0: so bad even, because like if you're level infinity then the game's difficulty is pretty much over.
3: (laughs) True. On hard mode it's a little worse, but basically you won't be as strong as you could be, but that's still playable. This is not a game where optimization really
0: comes into play even in hard mode. Yeah. I actually didn't know that was a feature when I played the game, but there's still reasons to switch between various classes because you'll gain abilities called Augments and you can slot a limited number of these into your character, but they are sort of abilities relating to that class, which will either further enhance that class's ability or allow you to pass that enhancement on when you play as a different vocation.
2: Like honestly, Augments are the big reason to switch classes for me anyway. Like the ability to hold more shit And move at a faster
1: weight class. And around the time you get to play with it for a little bit, you may be thinking to yourself, well,
2: what if I did make my character look kind of
1: weird? Well, you did a second chance at it because you get to make your own
3: pod.
2: Also, you get infinite second chances because you can just completely redesign how your character looks. Aside from gender, I think is the one thing you can't change.
3: No, you can
1: change gender. The item is like a complete redo of your character.
2: Oh, yeah, that. I was just thinking of the, uh, the barbershop. But you're right, there is that item that will completely let you remake.
0: Yeah, the funny thing is, I went to the shop and like, I figured they wouldn't let me change this because it was a physical aspect of my character. Because they let you change a lot of certain changes skin color, or hair, or whatever. <laughs> Plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I wanted to. Uh, I picked one of the faces that has one eye like shut by default because I knew there was an eye patch in the game. The thing is, there are variants of the shut eye for the left eye and the right eye, and I picked the wrong one for the one eye patch in the game.
3: <laughs> so they're just blind.
0: Yeah, so I spent a shitload of money so that I could have the eye patch go on the actual shut
3: eye. Also, it's worth noting at the barbershop, you can get new hair colors and skin colors. It's a very neat little touch. And also it means you can get pink hair.
2: Yeah, I I think that's an interesting choice of like during character gen, you just have standard human hues of hair, basically. But then at the barbershop, you'd be like, no, give me pink hair.
3: (laughs) Why would you want pink hair?
2: (laughs) Give me the bright green Joker hair.
0: (laughs) But making your main pawn, it's good that you get to play for a little bit, so you kind of get a sense for probably how the other vocations work because you can pick the one your main pawn starts with this character will be with you the whole time and i mentioned the inclinations changing this is affected kind of by your behavior so if you pick up a lot of items in combat they'll start doing it etc etc you can sit them down in a chair in some locations and like inns and talk about their behavior with them
1: Okay, so like one of the first questions you're almost guaranteed to get asked when you sit them down in a knowledge chair.
2: Is how much they should talk.
1: <laughs> the way they phrase it is like, I try to speak up or remain quiet depending on the situation. Is this good for you? And uh, the options are yes or no. And if you say if you say no, then they kind of just shut up. But if you say yes, they're like, all right, well, then I'll try and be a little bit more talkative. <laughs>
3: Yes, and I, you should always choose that because pawn chatter is incredible. It is the
2: first time you hear it.
3: <laughs> it is every time you hear it.
2: Yeah, that that is the one thing I definitely disagree. Well, there's a few things, but like the main thing I definitely disagree with people on this podcast about is I think pawn chatter sucks and I hate it.
0: I turned mine down. I'm not gonna lie.
2: I think you suck and I hate you. <laughs>
3: I love my pawn talking. I want to hear every stupid thing He-Man has to say well, about Well, you He-Man. will.
0: You'll hear all the stupid things I have to say.
3: Well, He-Man just happens to be entranced by the
1: size of this one particularly large tree.
3: I like that there's a an area where you are going to rescue a witch, which you have already met before. And He-Man spouted out something akin to... Rumor has it a witch lives in this wood. Well, no shit, you've already met her. (laughs) Also, hey. Ranged attacks. (laughs) There's no emotion to it. It's just if they were teaching you a lesson in, like, an English class or something.
0: (laughs) The voice actor is just, like, reading, like, it says ranged attacks, right? Ranged attacks? (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) That's basically
0: what it is. Pawns are great, and pawns also suck. <laughs> yeah. Your main pawn, you can hand them equipment freely, and also items. The pawn mechanic plays out further, though, when you go to a rift stone, which, uh, in the prologue, you did this, but it automatically gave you two specific pawns. You can visit these, and it will connect to the network. It'll be in a void area, and other pawns will walk in. And this can be just your friends list, it can be other players and they're sort of set to be in the neighborhood of your level if they're just random ones if they're much higher level you'll have to pay this special currency called rift crystals to hire them and it increases the more higher level they are
2: than you unless unless they're on your friends list in which case you can hire them for free
3: yep you can be level one and have he-man for free
2: Welcome to the rift where you can see any number of anime waifus that people have created
3: <laughs> and also get rid of rook.
2: Yeah, or you just throw him
3: into a pond, it'll be fine.
1: Well, see, he'll come back just ah, the yeah. thing. <laughs> because like he's not going to be present for that cutscene, he'll just like it's kind of hilarious cuz you can decide to not do that quest and every time you enter a new area, he'll just be like dead on the ground behind. You. <laughs> 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 but like yeah, you st- you start off with this pawn called Root and like he's a level five mage, and for the time you have him, he's okay. Like he'll cast fire on stuff occasionally, but like as soon as you get the option to start summoning pawns, ditch him.
0: Yeah, the thing is, the game doesn't really indicate to you that you can go ahead and get rid of him because he's been in a couple of story cutscenes, but he's actually not important at all.
2: The thing we haven't really mentioned about the way the pawn system works is the only pawn that levels up is your pawn. All hired pawns will never level up, which means that Rook, who joins you before it is possible for you to get into combat in the game, is the lowest possible level pawn you will ever encounter. <laughs> so he sucks compared to literally anyone else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you want to get rid of him, because he can't level.
3: Also, something about his stupid face. Oh, yeah,
0: his facial looks terrible in his haircut.
2: If you're lucky, you can hire Rook's son, like I did, who's just somebody made Rook, but short. (laughs) 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 That's the fucking
1: greatest, but also, like, can we talk about, okay, so uh, Rook is voiced by uh, T. Silverstein? at least until a cutscene, and then he's not voiced (laughs) by
0: It's Pretty good. Also, like, you don't have to do anything for this function to be available. Your pawn will also appear in other people's rifts, and if they hire the pawn, then the more time they spend with them, they will acquire rift crystals over time, and that's how you would get them. And outside of hiring pawns, there are some things you can buy with rift crystals, and there's a mechanic in the Dark Arisen expansion that you use to get items using it. This is pretty much the extent of the online interaction in the game. There's <laughs> not like multiplayer in a traditional sense. I guess that's another reason why it reminded people of Dark Souls is that it has more traditional multiplayer, but it was still a weird implementation for the time.
3: One of the things worth noting is that pawns also learn while you have them around, and while other people are hiring your pawn, your pawn will learn about quests or monsters and Either give you hints or just know what to do better in combat.
0: With their explanation of not having much willpower, they're the perfect encapsulation of, you knew all the time, why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't ask. Like, literally, they wouldn't tell you if you didn't (laughs) ask.
1: At this point, though, like, since you've got your pawn and everything, you can really, like, go do stuff now. But the problem is there's not a whole lot of stuff to do. So, like, this incredibly uh, heavily accented woman name sir mercedes will tell you like hey you should rest here at this encampment you get woke up by the worst alarm clock in the history of alarm clocks
0: (laughs) you have to fight a big hydra that rips in the encampment a very interesting fight also interesting in the fact that they don't let you do it again for a very very long time but it is a a cool encounter because it has three different heads and They'll have, like, various attacks that you expect, but they'll also do one that's a bite that you can resist by moving the analog stick, but it's easier to have a pawn break
2: you out of it. Quote-unquote easier to have a (laughs) pawn break you out of it because it requires a pawn to do a
1: thing. (laughs) Pretty much if you don't have a specific augmentation and he gets you with that bite, you are pretty dead. (laughs) It's happened to me. You could you could say like you just save yourself the carpal tunnel syndrome by just, you know, reloading the game <laughs> from that point.
0: But yeah, as soon as you do enough damage to any of the heads, and there's also exploding barrels to help augment your damage here.
2: Wait, shit, there are? Yeah, you what you're <laughs> honestly supposed to do, the way you are supposed to engage with this fight, is pick up one of the explosive barrels, throw it at the Hydra. The Hydra will eat the explosive barrel. And then you shoot it in the lump in its neck and it will blow the hand off and you win instantly. <laughs> Fuck. That's the way you're supposed to deal with this fight.
3: I never do that. It took me a long time to learn how to do that and I never had a chance to actually succeed at doing
2: that. It's it's kind of hard to make it work. You, you would think with me being Monster Hunter, man, I would have tried that.
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, as soon as you knock one of the heads off, though, uh, Mercedes will show up again and say that this would be a good prize to show to the Duke. And also everyone's surprised at how strong you are, which is weird because, like, there are bandits you can run into earlier who are way stronger than you are. They can kill you in one to two hits, and you'll do barely any damage to them. I mentioned the damage calculations are arcane. They are also very stringent. You can do no damage to enemies if you're not strong enough. It's not a percentage for armor. It is a wall you need to break through.
2: Yeah, if you're too low level, you're just fucked. You are going to be too low level for those bandits. They are absurd.
1: There's a quest you can do immediately after leaving the enchantment, after doing this Hydra fight. And it's like, oh, uh, Tina's gone missing. We need to go find her. You have to go to the Witchwood. But on the way to the Witchwood, there is a, a metric
0: ton of bandits. You can fight some of them, but you can't tell which ones are stronger and which ones are weaker. Do they have a shield? Fucking run away! Yeah,
1: if they're if they're fighter bandits with a shield, get out of there because they will stunlock you to death
2: and murder they you. They have like a hundred thousand health, and you will not be able to deal any damage to them at all. <laughs> If you don't go towards the very obvious
1: woods and you head down towards the, like, broken-down castle, that's the bandit stronghold, and there's, like, a ton of them on the way.
2: <laughs> Admittedly, if you do bypass the bandits, the actual Witchwood is not as hard as the bandits. Yeah,
1: the Witchwood is actually very easy. It's filled mostly with wolves and spiders.
2: Spiders die in, like, one hit. The one bad thing will be is if you go at night there's ghosts and the ghosts are horrible all the time
1: and by the time you finish fighting these fucking impossible bandits it will be nighttime.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is a day and night cycle in this game as well and night is very notable in Dragon's Dogma for being pitch black. It is actually impossible to see in the dead of night without a lantern. Mm-hmm. Dragon's
1: Dogma, even on PS3, had a phenomenal lighting system, and like one of the first things it tells you to do in the game back in the tutorial is, like, here's how you open your menu and put on a lantern. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, like, I think the uh, graphics of the game are not too outstanding. And uh, art style-wise, in a lot of ways, it's not that inspired. There's also not, like, a lot of great sunrise views. There are a couple. But I feel like sunrise is just so relieving that, like, you will remember a sunrise because you will never forget the night that came before it.
3: Genuinely, I think Dragon's Dogma handles, like, nighttime in the darkness of it probably better than any other game I've played. It's really tense and atmospheric. God, it's kind of creepy, especially if you're low level and you know there is a chance you'll stumble on something that'll kick your ass, and you can't see it until you run into it.
0: I remember fighting wolves at nighttime because they're pretty threatening by day, for sure, but at night, even with a lantern, they can do like these pretty lengthy side hops and stuff, and they will just disappear from you. They'll just vanish. You'll try to turn around, they won't be there. Yeah. Cause even if the enemies aren't super intelligent, they are smart enough for the way the game works And for how your instincts will go if you just try to rush after them the first time that they can pull some stuff on you oh yeah it's pretty freaking you'll be fighting wolves and you'll like kill one and then you'll hear howling in the distance and more will come and there are like alpha wolves in the packs like mixed in but it's not just one there's multiple so you'll be fighting a small wolf and then you'll turn and there'll be a bigger one and then you're suddenly in way more trouble than you thought and then a skeleton lord rises out of the ground.
3: <laughs> yep. I have grown to really hate those wolves just because they summon other wolves. And it's not like that there are other wolves in the area that get the attention. A wolf makes a howl and other wolves just teleport in <laughs> to follow you. One might say, wolves hunting bats. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've heard that a thousand times.
2: Thank you, He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing this
1: game is setting you up to do at this point is to go to the main city, Grand Sorin. We're talking a lot about day and night cycles. The walk to Grand Sorin while you're escorting this Hydra head that you have to take with you is long enough that you will either see
0: sunset or sunrise. It's almost there to force you to experience that because there are... People who like to play extremely cautiously, and there are items that let you kind of do this more easily later, but who will just not set out at night. Now, just pass the time. Why not? You just sleep in your bed for free. Whatever. You can't do that during this segment. And if you set out at night, you will additionally have to contend with the
3: undead. Also, in hard mode, if you're doing that quest at low levels, it basically exists for you to get killed by cow that's escorting the cart because you accidentally kicked it and it ran into you, because that is a one-hit kill no matter what.
0: Yeah, we have mentioned hard mode a couple of times. It was added in DLC to the original games, but it's just packaged with Dark Arisen and the newer releases of the game. By hard mode, they just mean we boosted the attack and defense of enemies a lot, but also the golden experience rewards.
2: It's pretty obviously meant for new game plus purposes, but you can play it at any time.
3: I love the game too
2: much to not do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about the arc of this game, because we mentioned hitting like a defense wall for enemies and not being able to do enough damage to hurt them. With hard, you will hit that wall very early, but then you will level up so quick, and you will get money to buy better equipment, because equipment are the big boosts in your attack power in this game. You will get those so much faster that actually... The sort of mid to late game will get
3: much easier for you. Billy gets ridiculously hard at the end game, he is Bitter Black.
1: Bitter Black Isle is a special case, but we'll get to that.
0: Yep. Also mentioned equipment, increasing your stats. It's not really a build choice in this game, like this is pretty much just a bunch of straight upgrades and then maybe you want an elemental variant of the weapon for certain enemies. The only thing that would keep me from upgrading to a newer weapon is a lot of weapons in this game are extremely ugly.
2: You don't like the titular dragon's dogma, a sword with wings on it? <laughs> a sword that looks like you got it from a fucking hot It topic. looks like a a longsword variant of Soul Edge is what it looks like.
1: <laughs> it looks like you walked into a party city and you're like, give me the shittiest, edgiest sword. You know,
0: there's those signs, but then just ones like a... Some of the ones you can buy from the Black Cat are kind of. are actually kind of interesting design. Like, oh, this is supposed to. This is strong against griffins, and it looks like a griffin wing. Then there's ones like Wounded Fury, which is like. This is just a bunch of orange hard angles, but of pointy hard angles in, like, a
2: semicircle. How many people use those weapons, though? Because they suck ass. <laughs>
0: They're good in specific situations.
3: They have, like, no good stats. The ones that people use are. The ones that increase ability point gains.
0: Yeah, there's one that when pawns die, they're knocked out for a bit, and you can run up to them and just lay a hand on them, and they'll get them back up. And if you take too long, they'll go back to the rift. There is a staff, though, that will just they'll automatically revive on their own. If they have it.
2: The one that I have ever gotten use out of is Sir Mercedes Armor, because... It's better than the only other suit of clothes that you can wear to pretend that you're a lady. Because that's a thing that you have to do at one point in this game. Mm -hmm. Is if you're playing as dudes, you have to get past ladies who will kill dudes on sight.
3: Misandry bandits.
2: (laughs) So you either have to put on a full dress or you get Mercedes armor and you have tit plate. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can just do like I do and just go around. Technically, you can go around, I guess, but, like, they are right in the way.
0: Or you can kill them. I would like to make friends with them, but, you know, you can kill them.
3: Or you could be all their trans girl girlfriend. I just give them so many scolds, they all like me. Because <laughs> Miss Andrew bandits are great.
1: Yeah, basically, though, like, armor is the thing you're more likely to keep lower tiers of, just because, like, you might want to go for a certain look.
0: Armor I think looks good in this game. Yeah. For the most part.
1: There is a blacksmith in Grand Soren that will upgrade your equipment. You can do this at a few other people, but like you're going to be using this guy the most. Say you have a piece of armor that you want to keep wearing, you want it to have better stats. You can upgrade your armor by giving him monster parts or just various items. Some armors and stuff get different effects uh, the more you rank them up. Yeah. So a lower level piece of armor might be something you wear the entire game. For example, the leather cape you get from the guy just outside Casterdys when you leave for the first time is a really,
2: really good cape.
0: Yeah, it lowers your stamina consumption.
2: It really good defense and upgrades based on, like, wolf parts. Legitimately, I didn't get better capes until bitter black isle purifying like bitter black level three capes <laughs> but yeah
1: like the whole thing about the armor system is like you don't just have like chest piece and pants you can wear a helmet a cape inner armor an outer armor pair of gloves you can wear an inner and outer pair of pants yeah there's a
2: clothing layer and an armor layer also accessories, the Baleful Nails, that's going to take up one of your slots. Yeah, you're going to use the Baleful Nails, which does it give you 10 strength and 10 magic, which is absurd. Yeah, you put on really good, like your, your fingernail game is on point and it makes you <laughs> punch people better. Yeah, you get really
1: visual K and that gives you both inner and outer strength.
3: <laughs> I think my favorite accessories in the game are the ones you get for rift crystals that do nothing
0: those are the gold rings and platinum i think that's just so you can launder rift crystals into money (laughs) yeah there is some equipment i think it's actually weapons though that are like gold which are on the base just sold for a lot of money but if you max them out they can actually silence magic enemies Mm -hmm. but rings that say like oh it doesn't seem to have an effect they're junk If it says it doesn't seem to have an effect, it doesn't have an effect. This game's not trying to trick you.
3: I'm not even talking about the gold and silvers. Yeah, you're talking about the the premium ring. (laughs) Yes, the premium rings that have, like, different colors. If they do anything, I have
1: never noticed (laughs) it. They do absolutely nothing. They are there to just be like, I am obscenely wealthy. I need something <laughs> to spend it on.
0: I think some pieces of accessory, if you stand stock still, you can see a little blinking color effect by your hand sometimes. Yeah. So, like, another thing that you can do with
1: pawns is whenever you send them back, you send them back with a gift. If you have found a pawn that is exceptionally shitty, you can give them fate stuff by forging it at the black cat.
0: Yeah, after you do the. Head escorting thing, then you're allowed to mess around in Grand Soren for a bit before you do any like main quest stuff. And like you can explore the whole city, you can head back out on the field and you know go to some other areas. There's not a whole lot more places you will gain explicit access to at this point in the game. Mostly it's a function of whether you can survive getting there. <laughs> or whether the door is locked. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the Black Cat is the sort of black market shop. This is where they sell some, like, unique items that used to be DLC, so they're weapons with bad stats but a specific gimmick. And apparently, some of them can apparently be pretty good based on what I've read. This thing's very good against ogres or something. If it is at its full potential strength, then using it against an ogre will be better than using a very good weapon of the same class. But the thing is, like, the weapon that's good against griffins is a bow. So if you're not a bow using class, you just can't use it. <laughs> So it's super specific as to when you'd use these. But yeah, forging. So you can make fake copies of items. It's sort of, sometimes they're not fake.
2: If it's a material, it will not be fake. If it's something that has a special property, it will be fake.
0: Yeah, and this goes all the way from fairy stones, which are the like fast travel items. Like, if those are fake, then your character will throw it up in the air and they'll just fall back down on their head
2: just a fake wake stone try to use this oh no you're dead still
0: (laughs) but if you get a material like in some cases too the way it's done for certain super rare enemies is to get one copy of their material like oh this white giant saurian lizard man tail oh they always show up in like one or two rooms okay i'm just gonna get one i'm gonna take it to the black cat and he is going to somehow out of money fashion a whole cloth in actual Another scale <laughs> that you can use in crafting.
2: Uh-huh. Here's a fraction of Damon's horn. <laughs> the ultimate evil. Give me two or three more of these. <laughs> 250,000 gold sounds good.
0: <laughs> that function is pretty great, though I actually didn't know you could do that also in my personal to the game for actual materials. In my case, I actually just didn't bother grinding materials out.
3: I normally got most of what I needed just kind of playing normally. Yeah,
0: enemies drop a bunch of materials, and like the the way the encumbrance system works in the game is it'll go up in like specific tiers on like a percentage of how much you can possibly carry. It's only really a problem when you get to like heavy and very heavy.
3: So yeah, you can forge plot or quest items that they want you to fetch and turn them in in place of the actual item, so you get to keep it. And there are actually, like, story effects for doing this.
0: It's very interesting to
3: see what the interactions are. There's one where a guy wants you to fetch a tome that carries a powerful fire spell, and if you give him a forgery in another quest, he'll come to help you against a griffin and the spell won't work. It's kind of hilarious how he responds.
0: At first he's like, oh god, I guess I did it wrong. But then if you go back to town and meet it, was like, yeah, I consulted with someone, and I'm never going to trust the Arisen again.
3: And I mean, don't trust the Arisen. <laughs> if you're like me as the Arisen, I will probably kick you into a pit, or launch you <laughs> sky high with explosive arrows. So... <laughs>
2: I mean, the most amusing one, though, for sure, is Duke Edmund's Dragon's Bane's crappy ring that he needs you to go find. But all he uses it for is to open a chest in his treasury. But, like, what it actually does is, like, make you cast spells faster, which sure is useful for him, a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking dumbass. I hate Duke Edmund Dragon's Bane's. That's yeah, it's funny. The game makes a big
0: uh, to do out of doing all these quests so you can finally have an audience with the Duke. He sucks. I hate him. Yeah,
1: the Duke sucks. So, yeah, like, you have to go into like a
0: bit of the Everfall for a little bit. That's the like first task you have to do before you can meet the Duke. You can go to like the Pawns Guild, or a bunch of them hang out. Like, okay, so they must have some willpower. They established a guild. That's not enough. that involves paperwork. Holy shit. That takes
2: more will than I
0: normally have
2: sometimes. <laughs> I think Barnaby has more will than most. Yeah. He seems pretty coherent. That
0: area for now is not too wild. It's like a spiral staircase. When you get to the bottom, these like tentacles pop out of the ground forever. And this is one of the times where you think, I'll use the
3: D-pad for pawn commands.
0: Don't, it won't do anything.
3: <laughs> yeah. Also, you get a more crystal.
0: Yeah, this is what you can use to set fast travel points out in the world.
1: Yeah, really what you gotta do is you gotta get down to the bottom of it, go back up to the top, dismiss all your pawns, go back down. <laughs> 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 if the pawns die in your service, they get sent back and you don't send a reward out. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, people only send out crappy things anyway, but like... The more important thing is it affects your pawn's rating, because it automatically defaults you to the three-star rating that you would normally get. Yeah,
3: which is really fun in Bitter Black, where your pawn is going to be like that the entire time.
2: Like, if you worry about your pawn's rating in Bitter Black Isle, then... You shouldn't, because Death is there, and he can one-hit kill anything.
3: Basically, no matter what you do, your pawn will be 3 out of 5 all the time. Just because if anyone uses them for Bitter Black, they are going to die.
2: Yeah, just <laughs> le- Legitimately, if you run into death in Bitter Black Isle, which will happen, your pawns are a 100% forfeit. <laughs> because they will try to fight death, and he will kill them. When he kills pawns, I should mention, it doesn't just kill them, it immediately sends them back to the Rift which will default that three-star rating on them. Let me point
1: out, then, when it comes to like having death, this is the one instance in the entire game where the guardian inclination is useful. <laughs> because, <laughs> because normally the guardian inclination means a pawn will not engage the enemy, they will focus on protecting you, uh, which means they get right up in your business and stay there. <laughs> so if you have the guardian inclination, they won't try to fight death, they'll just run with you away from death. <laughs>
3: The worst part is, even if you have like a ranger or a sorcerer on your team, they will just walk up to Death and try to hug
4: him,
3: <laughs> and just, just like take me, Death. <laughs> but I love.
0: Him. So when you're finished with the Everfall, it's weird. Like you run out of there, like it's a big disaster. You can actually go right back in, get whatever treasures you missed. But uh, yeah, when you go to meet with the Duke, you won't actually get to do it right away, and you have to do Worm Hunt quests. One, it lets you meet, like, a character. The other ones, they have interesting, like, plot implications, but it feels very light now, and the foreshadowing you will get won't entirely feel like it. The most important one is the twist seeking salvation,
1: which introduces you to the cult salvation. Uh, you can technically be introduced to it earlier, but it's a missable cutscene. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's like, you gotta go investigate this weird cult. And you go in there, and there is a meeting of this cult where they the guy who's in charge kills a bunch of his own followers and turns them into silly mans
0: yeah also you get to make a moral choice at the end of it there's a a correct one which is kill the person who's asking you to save their life and the incorrect one which is let them live and the person you met in town when you first arrived will never talk to you again yeah there's no benefit to letting the guy live
2: yeah, because if you let him live, it's right in front of the guy that wants you to kill the guy, <laughs> and also won't talk to you if you don't. Literally, what happens if you spare this guy's life is Mason's like, "Wow, or is it? You suck," and then he just kills them.
0: Yeah, Mason, the guy at New York Town, sounds like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. So it's funny to have him whispering these dark, evil things to you. <laughs> Put this one under the sea, or is
2: it? Yeah, you have to kill this man, Ariel. (laughs) Also, like, the weird thing about Mason is he's not, like, a bad guy. No, he just acts so creepy. This is the one time he's a creepy asshole.
3: And then later you
0: talk to him and he's like, yeah, I work with the church.
3: He's just, in general, kind of creepy.
1: He's the bad cop to your player character cop.
3: I would be the better cop or even the worst cop.
2: <laughs> your Arism we've established is a terrible person. Yep. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. I get really angry about that little girl you have to escort for the gold idol that lets you unlock better equipment and she takes forever and she's a little brat and she's also the daughter of Fornival, so she double sucks. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a, a super rich merchant in town who has some rare items.
1: The other three quests are not terribly important, but the one I do want to bring up just a little bit is A Fortress Besieged, because it has the best voice line and animation combo in the <laughs> entire game. <laughs> Where like you fight this big group of goblins and drive them out of this fort, and this guy like does this animation like he's talking to someone who's right next to him in a sort of like explanatory way. But the voice lines like, we have returned to the phone! <laughs> it's just like...
2: <laughs> we didn't talk about Sir Byrne.
1: Sir Byrne is the best character in the game.
2: Sir Byrne is thoroughly unimportant, but the thing is, he, he runs a tutorial mission to teach you how pawns work. And every time you do any of the steps in the mission, he just yells, enough! really loud.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's his claim to fame, is yelling enough really loud. There's a mission later on where you come back and he's like,
1: fight me, and you're like, okay, and you beat him like two hits. (laughs) Yeah,
2: because that mission's after you fucking fight Grigori the dragon, and Sir Burn is some guy. I fucking love this game
3: for just that purpose. There are a lot of fights in the game where it's like, they're being played up to be huge challenges, and then you just one-shot whatever you're fighting.
1: You may have seen that picture before where it's like, here's the difficulty curve for Dwarf Fortress, and it's like a mountain. Imagine that in reverse, and that is fucking Dragon's stop. <laughs>
0: Actually, speaking of like post Gregori quests, one of the ones in the encampment says, I await you in like the arena, and it's to fight that Hydra you fought at the beginning, because you never you see it again. There's no other Hydras in the main game. So did that Hydra break into the encampment and, like, pull out a big inkwell and, like, a giant cockatrice quill and just, like, dab that in there? And it's like, hey, Risen, show up will be in the next 15 minutes if you want an ass-kicking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> as hilarious of an image as that is, the other thing is you are also ambushed by a bunch of goblins. And we know that goblins can speak. So it's th- a goblin wrote that note.
3: But how did it post that fucking job request?
2: The board is right next to Sir Byrne. Do you ever think (laughs) about that? Like, that, like, Sir Byrne just stares down everybody who puts a fucking request up. So this is some tiny goblin in a cloak, like, jumping up at the board to put it on there. And Sir Byrne is like, enough! I'll put it up for you. (laughs) Okay,
1: so there's a couple other quests you can do.
2: One of the other hunt quests
0: is the Water God's Altar. It sounds pretty cool, and you do go to a cool area. It's not that great of a quest, though.
2: Do you want to carry five 20-pound slabs?
0: <laughs> yeah, if you wait till the uh, post-Gregory part of the game, there's an actual like interesting boss at the end of it, instead of just a Cyclops, of which there are a ton you fight in the course of the story.
2: The last one, the only thing I want to bring up about it is... There is an important character in terms of, like, lore. It's literally like, decipher this text. And then all the text is, is meet me at Hillfigure Knoll. And then you meet the Dragonforged, who's some old Arisen, who's been around for, like, a thousand years. He's like, I'm going to tell you things about the Arisen, but not very interesting or useful things. <laughs> now you've done all the worm hunt quests. Now
3: you can meet with Duke Edmund Dragon's You get to meet a Lenore who wants to jump your bone
0: she'll accuse you of trying to take advantage of her and then you get sent to prison and you get tortured and then no one ever remarks on it ever again like the duke appears to go into a weird fugue state and is begging someone named lenora to forgive him who's like not a character in the story that you know about but then no one ever remarks on it ever again like the torturer knows who you are he didn't go into a fugue state he's like uh hey don't go to jail kids
2: You can infer who Lenore is pretty easily after a plot point happens later. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of infer who Lenore is right now based on the fact that you know the Duke has had multiple lives. They're like the Duke's new wife, Eleanor. He's like, oh, okay, what happened to his previous wife? <laughs>
0: he is also an Arisen. Uh, he's just, like, not aged, so... Maybe he outlived all his previous wives, but like, there's someone in your village who's the Duke's age and she's alive, so it's not impossible for a person to live
3: that long. The thing that pisses me off about Eleanor beyond her getting you tortured is that I have murdered her by throwing her off a cliff into the ocean and still had her come up as my beloved.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's in there to sort of like show the relationship system, which is another thing in the game that has some effects on some things, but is mostly who the dragon will kidnap at the climax of the story.
3: I love the relationship system so much. It's so bad and so beautiful.
0: Oh, yeah, because it is so, like, deterministic and based on, like, how much you give stuff to people and talk to them or whatever, or buy stuff from them, you can just give a ton of items
3: to some person. One of my beloveds. The last one I got was an NPC who only shows up for a random quest out in the middle of the woods where you have to rescue them from goblins and they're stuck in a cage.
0: And then you get more quests to do. Yeah, you also meet a guy named Julian who uh, you might have bumped into earlier and at no time is he not suspicious.
2: It's definitely that guy who was hanging out with Salvation in the catacombs. He just had a mask on, like a domino mask. (laughs) Oh, no one will ever find it out. The knight's champion is said
1: to be inside the castle, but who is he?
0: But yeah, you get a new set of quests from the Duke's advisor, because obviously the Duke's not going to talk to you directly. Why would he (laughs) ever do
2: that? He's just going to go eat meat in his bedroom.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So the quest you get here, there's Griffin's Bane, which is just like bait a griffin to show up. You might have bumped into it earlier, but like you have to set some bait for it to show up. If you do damage to it but not enough, it will escape to an area called Blue Moon Tower. Which is also the only way you can explore Blue Moon Tower is if one of the story quests forces you to come here because all of it is just locked. The thing is, it's very easy to kill the Griffin extremely quickly and not see the Blue Moon Tower part, which has like a scripted chase sequence and that thing we mentioned with the guy showing up to cast a spell from Salamet's Grimoire. None of that will happen if you kill
2: <laughs> Both times I have played the game all the way through the completion instead of just doing Bitter Black because that's what I like better. Both of the times I have played the game through the completion I have been far too overleveled by this point in the game. So I just killed the griffins. I've never seen the second half of this quest.
0: <laughs> Same here since you have to go to Blue Moon Tower for another Royal Order's quest anyway, I don't think it's that big a loss. It is kind of a shame because there are some events tied to it
3: that I should have put elsewhere. There are some really interesting scenes when you do the Gryphon fight, even though the actual Gryphon fight is this easy.
0: (laughs) And then this quest called Trial and Tribulations, we mentioned that rich merchant Fornival earlier, Speaking of people who it's not surprising that they're shady, Fornival is shady, and you can find evidence to either exonerate him or indict him, though he is pretty heavily weighted to get indicted anyway.
2: Because he's definitively guilty. (laughs) He definitely (laughs) did all the things he's accused of.
3: You have to forge evidence. Also because he sells very good stuff,
0: so they made it difficult to keep getting that good stuff. He actually sells a
2: unique arrow that's a one-hit kill. On most things.
3: On the last boss of the main mm-hmm.
2: campaign. Doesn't work on death or daemon, I don't think, though, in Bitter Black. It just does one health bar of damage. Yeah.
1: It also auto saves the second you try to use it, so if you
3: miss, then you've just wasted like a hundred thousand gold. <laughs> Magic archers actually get a similar ability where you will sacrifice the life of one of your pawns to do a ridiculous amount of damage. Yeah, because magic archers use
0: magic bows and not regular ones, they can't use the special arrows, but all their moves are special arrows anyway. So, outside of the maker's finger arrow or blast arrows, you're not really missing out on, like, abilities. Yeah. There's a quest we mentioned earlier, the Worm King's Ring, that you can forge to give to the Duke because he just wears his jewelry. This involves actually fighting that sorcerer, Salamet. This guy is pretty silly. Not intentionally.
2: Salamet's great. He thinks he's like a king big shit of everything. He's just like, I'm the best sorcerer in the world. I don't know why I'm making him sound like Jeremy Clarkson.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no.
2: laughs> kind of tough he has a really deep voice. Until he dies and he's like, My amulet, my ring." Well, he doesn't say my amulet, he says, My talisman! <laughs> Which is hilarious. But the, the even more hilarious thing is like, even if you're not over leveled for this point in the game, You'll destroy him. Even if you're just perfectly leveled, yeah, you're gonna fuck him up super bad. Cause he's weak as shit. That's like the one time Taco was incredibly
1: useful. It was like, Because I was playing as a melee class, he'll teleport away from melee attacks. And then
3: Taco just fucking casts fire and murders him instantly. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a fight with him where I didn't one-shot him.
0: If you keep his ring, you can cast spells faster. If you forge it, the forgery will go to the Duke, who in a later quest will use it to open one chest, which has an admittedly pretty cool cape in it. It's not as good as the Worm King ring, though. And also, if you're still holding on to the Worm King's ring, you can bring some sleep arrows, sneak into the Duke's Domain at night and knock out the knight guarding it, use the ring on the chest and grab the cloak anyway. And then you have to use a fairy stone because the guards will all psychically know someone's breaking into the treasury <laughs> and immediately arrest you. Then there's actually a pretty neat quest called Pride Before a Fall where there's been rebellion at a location that you've probably passed on the way to Blue Moon Tower.
2: There are some things that foreshadow this. Yeah, there's one where it's like, the men at Blue Moon Tower need supplies. Their commander is Commander Julian. Go ask Commander Julian to give them supplies. They both talk in things that are obviously code words. <laughs> It's like the most obvious, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm grouping you like illegal supplies. <laughs> the
0: knights that aren't on your side are secretly members of Salvation. And it's like the guy who you've talked to at the Tower before would just, like, admit it to you. And say the knight's champion is waiting for you. And who is it? It's Julian.
2: Oh, no, the person that we knew. We knew he was the knight's champion because we saw him. <laughs>
0: Mercedes has already been sent here, and she wants to have a duel with Julian. And this has actually quite a few different choices attached to it. If you have any respect for Mercedes, you will let her do this duel. Or you can interrupt and take over, which will upset her. Or you can take Julian's side for some reason, if she's just like the worst person on Earth,
2: I guess. The important thing to note, which is very unfortunate about this, is julian is by far and away a better duelist than sir mercedes oh yeah sir mercedes is scripted to lose no matter what literally the only way to keep her from losing is if you step in and basically break up the duel by killing sir julian yourself Mm -hmm. which is bad if she loses the duel she does not die she's humiliated but she would prefer to lose the duel than have you step in
0: yeah because it means that you have no respect for her whereas if she loses the duel she'll become disheartened because she's not from Grand Soren. she's from a different neighboring country like Fantasy France and she was not very well respected but they wanted to send someone who was not like important to the royal family over when the duke asked for help against the dragon they sent her over, and she got to manage a company of knights, but they didn't really respect her either. And then she's going to have this duel with Julian, and then she can't beat him either. The thing is, like, she's actually really good at her job, like, considering all the pushback she's had. She has done great, and if she had even an ounce of support, it would have gone great, whereas, like, Julian was the golden boy of fantasy Germany, where he's from, and then he comes over to Grand Soren and is betraying everyone the whole time and still gets more
2: support legitimately one of the ways to look at this duel is if sir julian being a huge prick is more important to you than the pride of sir Mercedes. if you don't step into the duel sir julian will get away with everything he's done if you do step in you can kill him or you can kill him and then revive him in which case he goes to jail
0: yeah he turns himself in because
2: also the thing he reveals is even though
0: he's been working on salvation it turns out his country just want to destabilize Grand Soren further, so he just worked with the death cult. He doesn't care about their goals at all.
3: If you let him out of prison, you can date him.
0: is <laughs> even
2: an escort quest.
3: <laughs> also, you get his shitty shield.
2: Yeah, with the wizard's face on it. One more thing to mention about this fight, which is there is one way that you can make it even worse Which is, if you step in on behalf of Sir Mercedes, thus proving you have no respect for her at all as a fighter, you can then give her the Arisen's bond, which is a wedding ring. She is not pleased by this at all, as no one should be. Mm But she has unique dialogue for this humiliation that you have enacted upon her, basically.
1: Yeah, it's like the worst shame you could possibly have dealt to her.
2: Yeah. For the kind of, like, quality
0: of writing and stuff that this game has, which is generally silly when it's good because it's kind of unintentional, it's, like, generally not that great, I think this specific quest is really cool. Yeah. I think you have to finish up all those before you get honor and treachery, which is Salvation's having a rebellion somewhere else, and then you run over there, and the people are just like, no, there's nothing going on here. And then a messenger comes like, Grand Soren's under attack. If you warp back there, you will go straight to the boss fight. It will save you a lot of time, but there's a guy right outside the door of the boss fight if you just go back to Grand Soren, who will give you some anti-petrification items Because you're going to fight a cockatrice, and if you get hit with a petrification attack and can't cure it, you're dead. Yep. Pretty freaky, actually, when it happens, because it just slowly crawls up your body.
2: Yeah, and your screen gets a bunch of stony particle effects on it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the status effects do that to your screen. Like, this blindness will just give you almost no vision at all. Like, it'll give you a very tiny selection of vision. (laughs) You just still see yourself,
1: but like the rest of the area is like very cloudy and hard to see.
0: Past Heaven's Peak, forth, the place with the Lady Bandits is a swamp. And during daytime, if you step in the water, it will hit you with poison and blindness. (laughs) It is so terrible. But if you show up at night, there's little fireflies hovering above it, and that means you won't get statuses
3: apparently. The thing that really gets me about that is, like, all the bandits, except for Ophis want you to take them there or another waterfall. (laughs) And taking them through the swamp sucks, especially because they just can't make up their minds as whether you finish the quest or not.
0: (laughs) Escort quests in this game in general are kind of weird.
3: Yeah. See, I did every one for every Missandry Bandit.
0: You can do it for almost anyone, though, which is pretty great. You just give them enough items to build their affection, and on the quest board, it'll be like, escort me somewhere.
2: The one good thing about the escort quest in this game, to me, is it's kind of weirdly funny in a morbid way when you fail them. Just for the heck of it, in my last playthrough, it's like, here's this escort quest. Bring Adaro to this place. But like on the way, there was a chimera, and the chimera just swung its ass around and hit Adaro, and he died. And it's just like, well, <laughs> there's Adaro's corpse, I guess.
1: Isn't it that he wants to go to the fucking shadow fort? Yeah, he wants
2: to go to the shadow fort. <laughs> so technically, I also had to bring him past a drake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's like the lesser dragon encounter before the end game. In an area called Devil Fire Grove that is on the way to the Shadow Ford, so you'll almost definitely run into this thing and it will kick your ass. That said, once you get strong enough, it does feel good to come back and beat that one. Yeah. I don't know how anyone else puts up with it though, like, no one mentions it at all? Mm-hmm. Go to the Shadow Ford. There's trouble at the Shadow Ford. Anything else you
3: need to know? Nope. You don't need to know about a dragon that's going to burn the hell out of you. We're not paying attention to anything outside of it. Why else is it
0: called Devil Fire Grove? Did they just name it that and then the dragon's like, oh, perfect.
1: The intro of the game, which we'd we lost over, is this portal in the fucking sky opens up and Drigory pops out with a shitload of monsters. So maybe it's a recent development that this dragon has shown up.
3: The dragons do have, like, memories. Yeah. It's just that they also are compelled to fuck the Arisen shit up.
0: Yeah, I guess let me just do a quick aside to mention that dragon fights in this game are unsurprisingly some of the the better big monster fights. Because they fly, but they also do land (laughs) semi-regularly. Though sometimes they fly, and they just keep flying, and they leave.
3: (laughs) Wyverns are the worst because they will just fly away in the middle of combat. Or they'll appear, and you'll get a quest to kill them. And then they'll never land, and they'll just fly off into the horizon.
2: (laughs) It's another one of the reasons why Assassin and Magic Archer are two of the best classes, because they both can just shoot flying enemies out of the air. Yeah, and the Drakes
0: have a weak spot on their heart, which is where you'd expect it to be. So when they're flying, you can just see their underside pretty clearly and just pop them in the heart directly. Also, we mentioned the equipment upgrading. One of the things I added in Dark Arisen was a... Higher grade of upgrading equipment called rarifying or dragon forging. It's kind of an either or. And this especially makes it so that you can kind of use whatever equipment you want because the higher something is upgraded on a basic level, the higher chance it has of getting dragon forged when you beat a dragon with that equipment on. And that just takes it up to a higher level, and then you need to use different items to upgrade it at a specific guy in Bitter Black Isle. <laughs> And I certainly got some use out of that before I even finished the
3: main game. Also, just the chance to automatically max out a weapon without any materials being spent. Mm -hmm. That's really handy, even if the chances are low. So after you kill the Cogtress,
0: then you get a quote-unquote quest called Reward and Responsibility, where the Duke's about to send you away on a long away mission. So he's going to give you a bunch of supplies and money. And this is kind of weird because aren't you supposed to be like fighting
2: the dragon? It's almost like the Duke has been putting off you fighting the dragon by making you do a bunch of crappy busy work he had lying around. <laughs> and he <laughs> ran out of busy work that he had lying around. <laughs> this is when he uses the Worm King's ring on the chest.
3: Also, it takes forever to walk to the chest. <laughs> If you try to pick him up to just hurry his ass up, he'll just get sent to jail. You have to walk with him for like three fucking minutes for something that should take like ten seconds.
2: It should just warp you to the treasure room. It takes about as long as escorting the ox cart with the hydra head from <laughs> Encampment 2 Grand Sword.
3: At least then you could kick the ox to make it go faster. <laughs>
2: But then after you grab
0: the stuff and talk to the Duke, uh, someone runs in and Salvation has attacked the Great Wall Encampment.
1: Probably at this point. Never been there.
0: I was actually passed by like the front of it at one point. Uh, I don't think you can go in, though.
2: Yeah, you can't go in, but it is right where the Lady Bandits are. So, like, there's side quests involving them. So if you've been doing side quests, you've been in the area and probably been there but just haven't, like, had any ability or cause to go in. And then
0: this quest becomes Deny Salvation, which is a pretty cool fight through this area. You fight your way up the Great Wall Encampment, and
1: there's a whole bunch of undead in the area. Like, the first thing you do when you get inside the Great Wall Encampment is you had to fight two cyclops at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you, like, you're fighting your way up. There's Salvation guys trying to stop you. There's Undead trying to stop you. And at the end of it, to uh, Salvation service, it, it turned into Whites.
0: That's Whites spelled like Knights. Not like, but when's White History Month? Yeah, the little flying magic casting assholes. <laughs>
1: that fight sucks because, like, if they're not near the ground, then you really can't hurt them that much. If you take too long, they'll cast Maelstrom on you and fucking kill you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think it was magically believed. If you cast that on them, they will instantly die.
1: <laughs> My first playthrough I was a Mist at Night, and this is in OG Dragon's Dogma. I had a uh, holy weaponry and the great cannon ruinous sigil combo, so that fight was super easy on that playthrough. <laughs> the good thing is though, you did like one of the best cutscenes in the game. I have misjudged the extent of your skill, dear Orison. I see it was folly to worry of walls and armies while you still live. However, (laughs) it seems my regret will be short-lived.
2: Don't you feel it? The very air dances around us. <laughs> the long night is come! The dragon's reign at last
4: begins! <laughs> oh. oh.
2: Merciful, winged death! Oh.
1: This is absolute truth! This is
4: salvation!
2: The rantings of an upjump zealot make for tedious listening.
1: And before he can finish his sinister door, like, lands on him and crushes him flat. Mm-hmm basically what boils down to is David Lodge just being like, this guy sucks
0: yeah, it's so funny because, like, he doesn't care about the doomsday cult he said, come get me a long time ago and this whole time you've been running errands for the duke and he's just gotten fucking sick of it
2: <laughs> he just wants to fight you, that's the thing that he wants to do and everybody in the entire fucking country has been putting that off And now you finally got on his doorstep and he's like, all right, we're gonna fight now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and he gives you one last uh, motivation because he has kidnapped your beloved. And if you gave your beloved in Arisen spawn, then you'll find it right outside the entrance.
1: There's actually a little extra bit of the cutscene if you gave someone the Arisen spawn where it falls out of Gredori's hand.
0: Yeah, and if you enter the Tainted Mountain, it tells you it's the point of no return, but you can turn back right away at least. There's an open, like, mountain-type area with a cavern connected to it with some new variants of enemies here. But once you advance a little further, you'll find yourself back in the place from the prologue. But with harder enemies. Much harder. Significantly harder. (laughs) Basically, like, you do the tutorial
1: again, but, like... Everything's harder, Uh, like you actually fight a gore chimera instead of a normal chimera.
0: Also, instead of the wolves, there are hellhounds.
1: Yeah, and they'll breathe fire on you and fuck you up. Well, not like breathe fire, they like shoot
0: fire explosives at you.
1: But like, you actually get to go beyond that door at the end of the uh, tutorial area, and Grigori's there and he offers
2: you a choice we've arrived at the first possible quote-unquote ending which aren't endings so much as game overs with cutscenes mm-hmm. really well-produced cutscenes that you probably won't see at all on your first playthrough yeah because why would you ever do the things that give you
3: game over <laughs> when you get eleanor as your beloved after killing her you're gonna take the second option of Letting her die and getting a fucking kingdom. A dukedom. Good enough. I mean, it's Eleanor anything. (laughs) You don't even have to pay me to murder Eleanor, so. I'll give you a slice of strawberry
0: shortcake. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Wow, you you didn't even hesitate.
3: (laughs) Why did you think she was my beloved? I murdered her.
1: (laughs) I'm just imagining Grigori with like, Tiny glasses and, like, a tiny spreadsheet being like, I did all the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) The other option is, like, don't take the dragon's bargain and fight him.
0: The thing he does mention, though, the key thing is that the Duke actually took the offer to sacrifice someone, and that's how he attained the dukedom. So, I guess you know who Lenore is now, and you know that that guy's a huge piece of shit who didn't fight the dragon and beat him, which is what everyone said he did.
2: We already knew he was a huge piece of shit, because we've met him.
0: If you take the deal, he also mentioned that he will leave, like, he'll just come back later. So people would believe you if you said you killed the dragon. But, you know, since you want to keep playing this game, and I mean, you've been probably raring to fight Grigori this whole time, you're going to take that offer. And so you pull out the Maker's Finger arrow, and you shoot him in the face, and you get the ending cutscene.
3: Yeah. I mean, you fight <laughs> I didn't even have to use the maker's finger. I, I managed to kill him in the chasing.
1: <laughs> if you aren't tremendously overpowered and, you know, don't use the maker's finger, then the fight with Grigori is fucking
3: cool as hell. It's by far the best fight in the
2: game. He chases you through the, the entire fort destroying it cause he's way too big for it and it's just awesome it's it's really cool
1: yeah at one point you shoot him with a ballista that makes him come at you and you fucking grab onto him and he flies you across the country
0: yeah you're flying over an ocean and this whole time too he's telling you like fight me live show me what you can do and you have to reach his heart in this sequence
1: you have infinite salmon on that part yeah the cool thing is what follows after that is you know it shows Grigori fall down and stand up and start roaring at you and then it like pulls the camera back as you and all your pawns land and it's the coolest fucking shot in the game mm-hmm.
0: you land and like this one-on-one and then all your pawns like one by one like
1: all land then the quest updates and says
0: defeat Grigori mm-hmm.
1: it's like you get so pumped
0: I will say for an open world game like Dragon's Dogma is Not as buggy as its contemporaries, but it does generally feel kind of like jank. This sequence is executed superbly well.
1: It is a fucking triumph of shot and encounter
0: composition. (laughs) And then you get to fight him, and there are some ballista around to shoot him with. You can also just climb on and, you know, go at it. (laughs) And he is like really egging you on to, to beat him. He wants you to beat him.
1: A neat thing about the fight is that, you know, your pawns can do all the damage they want. You have to be the one to land the final blow. It will not let anyone else kill them.
4: Yeah.
2: It applies to every dragon-style creature, is that you need to land it. Eat me well, Arisen. In my death, you've won a future for this world. But what that future spells for you, for all men... Is a truth you'll find staring back from this world's utmost dead.
0: It cuts to like an X-ray view of your chest and your heart reforms where it was. The heart of the dragon forge returns to him, and since he's a thousand years old, he immediately turns to dust and most satisfyingly, Edmund Dragon's ages into an old man in seconds.
2: Yeah, he ages like 70 years. <laughs>
0: then it cuts to Grant Soren, and a big chunk of the city falls away into a pit.
2: Yeah, if we haven't made it clear, the point where Grigori lands on the Elysian and starts talking to you is the point where the story in this game becomes good. <laughs> And, like, it's good throughout the rest of the game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it takes a fucking turn right about here.
0: In addition to the city crumbling, the skies turn red, and there just appears to be ash constantly falling. The credits play, and you and your beloved, like, meet up again and walk back to Casterdis, the starting town. It's shown to be, like, very serene, but, like, the world's clearly in a pretty rough state. And I can't imagine someone seeing the credits roll and thinking, Oh, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> All good
1: here." Okay, so we just had that really cool, superbly shot, very cinematic, but still very like gameplay intensive fight with Rudori. Let's talk about this ending cutscene for a second, because it was <laughs> kind of hilarious. Oh, it's it's great. Okay, so like you you leave the Great Wall Enchantment and you meet your beloved who in some cases may be the innkeeper because you talk to him the most. <laughs> you immediately bone. <laughs> <laughs> and then you walk triumphantly back to Cassius while, Like this really happy music plays
0: while everything looks totally fucked up. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Like They bone down like in the uh, smaller fort right before you escort the cart. And
3: that's like outside. He's had sex outside in this nightmare <laughs> world everyone must see my clown love
0: (laughs) the ending cutscene finishes, you are back in Castardus and your beloved's right there if they're a very generic person they'll just say the line of what they say when you give them a bunch of gifts and they like you a lot so it's like you just saved the world and had sex and then you talk to them like you shouldn't have (laughs) you're
3: right, I shouldn't have And that's the point where you pick up your beloved and throw them into the ocean.
0: That is definitely the point where you pick up your beloved and throw them in the ocean. (laughs) I am going to let them swim free. You can't swim because there's a thing, (laughs) we didn't mention it, but there's a thing called the brine that stops you from swimming too far out. A red hive mind of leeches will grab you and you'll disappear and wake up on the shore with less help.
1: The most important reward for beating Grigori is that everything you were wearing when you beat the dragon is immediately and guaranteed to be Dragon Forged.
2: The thing is, though, you get a weapon for beating Grigori. You get it the second that all your shit gets Dragon Forged, so it's not Dragon Forged. <laughs> <laughs> and it's better 200
0: points of attack better. In the initial release of the game, these weapons weren't that much better, but in Dark Arisen they rebalanced them to be a lot better, I guess so that you could go up against some of the harder stuff in the DLC with it, like it'd give you a much bigger edge against them. But it's based on whatever weapons you have equipped, so if you're an assassin, like you could have up to four weapons equipped, but I had a bow and a sword equipped, so I got Dragon's Dogma and Whatever the other dragon's old-timey word was. Yeah, I think
2: it's dragon's ire. Dragon's rancor. One of those, I got. Which is a hell of a word, let me tell you. <laughs> I know what rancor means because of Star Wars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and then when you leave Cassidus finally, not only has the whole world gone to shit in appearance, but hellhounds have replaced wolves,
2: large undead have replaced regular undead. Grim goblins. <laughs> They're like regular goblins, but they can take, like, a thousand more hits.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they're really hard to kill. They will straight up curb stomp you.
2: <laughs> yeah, their grab is that they stomp on your head until you die.
1: The main thing is, like, you have to get to Grand Sorin that's like, your only objective right now. You could walk all the way back. But, uh, there's a whole lot of reasons you won't want to. (laughs) Most pressing of which is the second you get close to
0: Grand and a fucking Drake will ambush you. (laughs) I saw that one, and that is one of the times where an enemy showed up, and then it just flew away. The Drake is a wyvern, so it will just do that. That's its thing.
1: So yeah, a lot of people are appreciative that you've defeated the dragon. You know who isn't one of them? (laughs) Duke Edmund's Dragon's Bane. Did not appreciate the fact that you just fucked up his whole regality situation.
0: Well, he also says that, oh, you couldn't have possibly killed it. You made a deal with the dragon. Because <laughs> he has no idea what happens when you kill the dragon because you didn't fucking do it. No, my dude, you just suck. <laughs> and then he tries to fight you.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he tries to fight you, but he's like a 30,000-year-old man. <laughs> so he just, so he'll like, he telegraphs his attacks really like a lot and you kill him in, like, a single hit. Well, if
2: only you killed him, but you don't. Yeah,
1: you don't actually kill him. Yeah.
2: We actually
0: telegraphs his moves. The assassin has some counter moves with his sword and dagger that are really cool. They don't work on the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> so you do this cool, sick counter pose and just get hit in the face by an old man.
1: The best thing is, though, like, he brands you a criminal, says you've sided with the dragon and all, and so he sits on you an infinite replenishable supply of discipline points. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, discipline points are, uh, we didn't really mention them, but they're how you improve your vocations. They're based on how much experience an enemy isn't worth to you. Like, if an enemy is like, going to level you up, you're not going to get as much discipline points for them. And these knights are not worth much experience at all. They focus on you. They don't focus on any
1: of your pawns. So, like, there's a wall you can stand on, and when you stand on this wall...
2: They'll just keep trying to attack you while your pawns murder them with impunity. Yep. Yes, this is an exploit you can use to get a ton of discipline, but what you're supposed to do, <laughs> if you're not a horrible person, is you're supposed to run away from them. Listen, the only
0: one of those knights that can even possibly like you is Sir Maximilian, if you have high affection with them. He actually has different dialogue where he's like, "Well, I don't like this, but attack!" instead of, "I always knew you were a criminal."
1: Attack! You run down to where the hole is and you're forced to jump into- or Well, you're not really forced to jump into it, like- It just falls in. <laughs> a bunch of fucking, like, by fly out of it and you fall into it because they startle the crap out of you. Mm-hmm. So you end up in the Everfall again, which is that place you were at where the fucking very first time you came to Grand Soren
2: Except now you find out why it's called that.
1: Because you literally fall forever. You also encounter one of the pawns who helped you in the tutorial, Mm -hmm. which is one of the lowest key foreshadowing events in the entire game.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing is, she mentioned her master needed to collect 20 wake stones, and doesn't know what'll happen when you do, but that it's very important. This is the part where you can
1: tell they sort of just were like, oh shit, dev time's up.
0: Yeah, the Everfall is kind of neat because there's a bunch of rooms. Well, any room you go into at first will have pretty much a beholder in it. So the evil eye is the thing that was sending out the tentacles when you visited the Everfall and it wasn't broken. Now you can finally kill it because if you try to go into any room, it will like distort space to make you fight it anyway. It's a pretty cool fight. It goes through like a couple of different phases, defending itself and summoning tentacles. Once you kill it, you can go into the other rooms. They have set encounters, so like you can fight harder versions of like the Hydra, you can fight Gore Chimera. One chamber will take you to a sort of weird space vortex, and there are a couple of what appear to be bandits. They're actually like corrupted pawns, but like they're not as interesting as they are in uh, Bitter Black Isle, and these enemies are super easy because they're pretty much a confirmation that you want to take on the challenge in this room when you kill them. So I did, and then I see this big silhouette appear over the weird black hole in the sky and hear voices, so you've come. Very well arisen. And a dragon that's bigger than Grigori shows up, that's glowing. Like
1: much bigger than Grigori. Much bigger than Grigori and instead of the one heart, guess how many he has? Isn't it, like, 20? He has 20. (laughs) How fortuitous that this one dragon has 20 fucking hearts.
0: (laughs) And this is the Ur-Dragon, which is unique in that if you're playing online, this boss has a shared health bar across all players of Dragon's Dogma. And fittingly, it is extremely fucking hard to
2: (laughs) hurt (laughs) it. In that, if you're playing online, you will never beat it. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. The thing about the
1: Urge Riding is that, like, the first generation didn't have much HP at all. It was about, like, two or three times the amount that Grigori had, which is a lot for that time of the game. But between all players of Dragon's Dogma, you know, that was nothing. You would probably get in on it on the first go. So, every time the Urge Riding is killed, his HP increases. You know, like, the 1st through, like, 10th or 15th generation is not so bad. The current Urge ride in generation is, like, generation <laughs> 700 and something.
0: By the time I got to it on PC, and I had been playing super fast since release of the Steam version, but I was playing fairly consistently, at least, it was at about generation 300. <laughs>
2: The thing is, it does actually have a maximum health that they have capped it at. Mm -hmm. So even though the generations keep going up, it is as strong as it will ever be. Yeah, like it is a significant amount of HP. I knew the exact number the first time we tried to record this, but they have measured it on the wiki in terms of how many drakes it is, and it's like 25,000 drakes (laughs) worth of
3: health. The secret to beating the year dragon is to wait until like a forum says that it's in the grace period which is when someone has finally killed it but there is a period of time where you have the opportunity to hit it once and also kill it
0: you won't get as many rewards as the person who did the actual killing blow but you will still get a sizable number and these are pulled from a small list Though there's some things you'll definitely get.
1: The most important thing, though, is that if you kill the Ur-Dragon, you are guaranteed to get 20 Wake Stones.
2: Yeah. The other option for the Ur-Dragon, the much more sensible (laughs) option for the Ur-Dragon, is the offline Ur-Dragon has a set amount of health that is attainable for you to actually be able to beat it by yourself. And it will still give you 20 Wake Stones if you kill that one. Yeah. And also, the ur is on a timer. He's only around for, what is it, 15 minutes? And then he flies away, but he will come back with the amount of health that he had when he flew away if you come back again later. So, it's just an endurance test if you do it offline.
0: There are some pieces of equipment that are online only, but you can still get a fair selection of good stuff from the Ur-Dragon. Yeah.
2: The offline Ur-Dragon isn't as lucrative for beating, but Here's the thing, all the shit that you would get for beating the Erdragon Dragon online used to be the best equipment in the game, but now that Dragon's Time is Darkerism exists, it is not. It is actually not the best equipment in the game anymore, because the Bitter Black Tier 3 stuff is better. So there is no reason to fight the Erdragon Dragon online anymore.
3: <laughs> I mean, the Abyssal Set is cool.
2: I mean, the stuff is cool, it's just not as good as other stuff. And I guess worth noting is in the
0: original release of Dragon's Dogma, which didn't have Dark Arisen, obviously, this is kind of like the power gamer's endgame loop, where you just go to other rooms in the Everfall, there's just weapon piles and stuff you can search, and they have a small chance of dropping a really good weapon, and you build yourself up through fighting these things in sort of a boss rush repeatedly, and then you take on the Ur-Dragon and hopefully beat it to get stronger weapons to take on the now stronger (laughs) Ur-Dragon.
2: But Dark Arisen gives you something, uh, I think, much better to do. Gives you a Dungeons of Dreadmoor-style adventure to go on. <laughs> like a full-on D&D high-level campaign.
0: <laughs> After you clear the encampment, there's an NPC in Cassardis at nighttime who'll show up. She's surprised that you can see her, first of all, but then she asks to take you to an island, and you'll get a new title card for Dark Arisen, and you'll arrive at Bitter Black Harbor, which is... Both the starting area, and it becomes the hub as you open up Shortcuts in Bitter Black. And this area is all dungeon. The different rooms that have like different kind of atmospheres to them, but the whole place is a maze. It's labyrinthine is all fought And the enemies here are extra difficult. Once you're far enough in the main story, you can make some pretty decent headway into Bitter Black. And I did beat it before finishing the game.
1: A lot of the enemies in Bitter Black Isle are not as hard as the post-game enemies, but definitely harder than the mid-game enemies.
2: Yeah, like the initial enemies are basically mid-game enemies, so in mid-game you could just start doing Bitter Black Isle and then come back after you've beaten it.
3: And then an elder ogre comes in and eats the shit out of you. (laughs) Well, an elder ogre comes in and you run away. (laughs) You can do a whole zero damage to it. Ken Kinoshita,
0: who was the gameplay lead previously and had worked on all those Monster Hunter titles, took the director role for Dark Rhythm. So there are some elements of an ecology based entirely on death, though. As in, you kill more monsters, and it has a chance of attracting a necrophagus monster, which is an extra hard boss. The further you get into the island, the thicker the air gets, carrying the stench of dead bodies better increasing the chance of these monsters appearing though you can also just put down an item called rancid bait meat and that will guaranteed lure the monster meaning in the dusk moon tower which is the very first staging area i guess you can put down a rancid bait meat and fight a cursed dragon which
2: is really hard really really hard oh yeah it has the same general look and feel as the Ur-Dragon, but it's not nearly as powerful.
3: If it breathes its poison breath on you, all your food will rot.
0: Also, with the Ur-Dragon, the thing is, it starts out as like a very regular dragon design, like, outside being like huge and glowing, obviously, but when you break the hearts on its stomach, its chest breaks open and gets like disemboweled. That's how the Cursed Dragon just looks.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's uh it's pretty nasty. I was actually surprised to find out that the offline ur dragon is easier than a cursed dragon. Yeah. Because <laughs> cursed dragons are smaller, but therefore a little more nimble. <laughs> also, the dragon fight music on Bitter Black Isle is a similar arrangement, but it's got a cool spy music
3: guitar under it. Also, you get the chance to fight the Condemned Gore Cyclops if you want to die, because holy crap, Condemned Gore Cyclopses are ridiculously powerful. Probably the most powerful enemy in the entire game, Sans death.
2: So the, the Condemned Gore Cyclops is, imagine a regular Cyclops. Now make it about 30 times as big <laughs> and also do about 30 times as much damage and have about 30 times as much health.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can run into it very early, like when you're visiting Bitter Black. The room it's in actually has a key to advance further. You'll see it like probably fairly early in your visits there, and you might chip away at it as a joke. And like, oh, this thing's like stuck here, right? And you're not doing any damage, but maybe, maybe you are maybe doing a little. As soon as you either break the faceplate off or drop one bar of health from it, it goes berserk and rips out of its chains and picks up a big club and you're in a very enclosed space so good luck getting away from it.
2: (laughs) I think the most amusing thing about the Condemned Core Cyclops to me is if you run out of stamina on it or if it knocks you off of it while you're climbing on it, you are dead because fall damage in Dragon's Dogma is ludicrous. So you're just gonna fall like a hundred feet and land and die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple of boss encounters in Bitter Black, but the coolest ones are the one they up front, the very first boss encounter, and the very last boss encounter are my favorites. The first one is Gazer, which is a big like room-sized beholder we mentioned earlier. It's the one where once you damage it enough it will create some tentacles and you have to defeat them before they fully charge up or it instantly kills you. Once you defeat them, a great cannon orb spawns, and you just hit that to annihilate this thing. It's a very cinematic and cool fight. Also, smartly, you can avoid its evil eye attack by just facing away from it. With that
2: attack, it does a ton of statuses.
0: Most likely petrification.
2: It's just a big thing about it. In addition to being the first boss fight of Bitter Black Isle, and like a really neat fight, It's like the hard cap on, like, advancement if you aren't strong enough. This is is the bellwether check here of if you are actually strong enough to advance. Because you can't advance until it is dead. And it is difficult.
0: Yeah, the first time I entered the room where it was in, I immediately just, like, noped right out of there. We mentioned fairy stones that you can use for fast travel. They don't work inside the Dungeon of Bitter Black. You need a separate item called Lift Stones that take you back to the very beginning. And that's exactly what I used once I saw that.
1: So we mentioned Gouge and its variants early on. This fight, the Gazer, is probably the best fight for Gouge because it's got a big, gigantic weak point that you can climb directly onto. (laughs) How I beat it is I had, at this point, Dire Gouge. So I jumped over onto his eye and just stabbed it in the eye really hard. It works
2: pretty much flawlessly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My favorite thing, though, is that you can get randomized loot from enemies in Bitterblight. So I killed this gazer, right? And it dropped a Bitterblight novelty. And it ended up being a ring that gave me deadly gouge. (laughs) It was like Christmas.
0: Yeah, Bitterblight adds items that are cursed. This is the thing I mentioned earlier, we use Rift Crystals to unveil what they are and make them usable. It has a weird system where it's based on like your class and stuff when you identify it, so you could like save and then reload to try again. Kind of finicky, and I just lived in Ignorance's Bliss mode and just purified everything. I'm like, oh, I have that. Now I can sell it for money. Hooray. <laughs> but yeah, you get randomized rings that can give you stat boosts of various types. Some of them will upgrade your skills and make them stronger versions. Some of them have, like, special effects, too. The most interesting, like, special effect ring I can think of in Bitter Black is the one that stops you from getting wet, which will put out your lantern. And also, if you're wet, you'll take more ice and lightning damage.
3: That is a really good ring, especially in the gutters areas of Bitter Black.
1: You can combine this with a lantern that has twice as much intensity.
0: Yeah, in Elite Lanterns. Though, weirdly, also, like, even though the Elite Lantern is an actual usable item, there's. I can't remember what piece of equipment it is, but you need to rarefy it with eight Elite Lanterns. <laughs> it feels like a mace or something that was not remotely worth the effort of randomly hoping you get eight Elite Lanterns. There's also weapons and armor, so, those things that you had to check in piles for in the Everfall and. The base game, you can also just find as bitter black weapons and armors. There are also some neat pieces of equipment you can only get this way. I got an electric cutlass. That was pretty great because electricity arcs from enemy to enemy.
3: The best ring in the game is clearly the ring that makes your punch do like a tiny bit more damage so it's still useless. Oh, it technically doubles your
0: punch damage, but yeah, your punch damage is nothing.
3: It's another... Thing this has in
0: common with gothic too is there's a hand-to-hand moveset with various different moves you can do based on whether you're jumping or standing or doing different kinds of moves and it's never expanded upon and it's never useful <laughs> the dagger animation since your character holds them in a reverse grip if you just took the daggers out a lot of them would just look like punching attacks so they could have really easily just sort of slipped in a fist weapon like something into the game that i guess they just didn't think
2: to
3: at least they did in dragon's dogma online
2: yeah that's pretty cool the game we will never get
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mentioned there's an arena type area in dark arisen earlier there's actually two of them the rotunda of dread and the black abbey and yes the majority of areas in bitter black have super metal names (laughs) They have like set encounters in them, which will just change every time you leave and re-enter. But if you're carrying an item called the Fiend Luring Incense, there are three new harder encounters in these areas, but once you clear those out, the enemies won't reappear, so you have to put the incense away if you want them to show up again. This is a good place to farm for materials and just get into fights with enemies you might not see as often. Like, this is a great place to fight dragons in general. <laughs> Also, if you're carrying the fiend luring incense, you can run into an enemy called an Eliminator
2: in the Rotunda of Dread,
0: and they're really,
3: really
2: hard. Eliminators are actually terrible, and I hate them.
3: Unless you're a ranger. The trick with ranger is whenever they do their charge animation, if you use the strong regular shot, it'll knock them back. And you can just keep on doing that because they will keep on trying to
0: charge you. Yes, and worthy of note is the rotunda of Dread and Black Abbey have a cliff edge
2: <laughs> Yeah, the easiest way to deal with them is to shoot them off cliffs. Same with living armor.
3: Same with death.
0: But yeah, living armor, you only have to fight one on your first go through uh, Bitter Black Isle, so I didn't really remember anything about it. <laughs> and also I had like a party with all kinds of different attack options, which nullifies its gimmick that is really bad if you don't have any magic.
2: Its gimmick is such, it is a living suit of armor, rather it is a suit of armor possessed by a ghost. And in the first half of its health bars, it can be damaged with physical damage. And I don't remember if it's like resistant to magic, or if it just takes normal damage from magic. Either way, it takes normal damage from physical sources. And then, after you have brought it down to half health, what happens is you've destroyed the armor, the physical body. So now it's just a ghost of a knight that, like the rest of the ghosts in this game, is immune to physical damage. Thing is, the rest of the ghosts in the game don't have four life bars worth of
3: health. (laughs) The ghosts, if they possess someone, can be hit with physical weapons.
2: Which is not something that the living armor can be affected by. Basically, if you have no way of doing magical damage to it, it is invincible.
0: So balance your party in fitter or black, or you just- you can't win. Kinda sucks because the living army you have to fight is right outside the final area.
2: The whole reveal is in the end area. Was it, the fallen city? I don't remember what the moniker for the city is. Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> Caster this but under the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's a small town. Uh,
0: there's like a ghost walking around that'll explain various things about the plot. It still doesn't entirely make sense and until you beat the game you won't understand some aspects of it. But pretty much, in an Arisen and her pawn came to a town destroyed by a dragon, and a young man there followed that Arisen to get revenge on the dragons. He fell in love with the Arisen, the Arisen went off to fight the dragon and didn't make it back. Their pawn came back though, and began looking more like the Arisen she worked for. Then that young man becomes in Arisen himself. And falls in love with his pawn, who now has taken on a lot of aspects of the Arisen he fell in love with. When he goes to fight the dragon, he realizes that this dragon somehow is the Arisen he fell in love with. So his choice is to sacrifice his pawn, who is like the Arisen as he knew her, or kill the dragon, who is the actual Arisen he fell in love with, and instead he wishes to curse the entire cycle and destroy it. And I guess because them's the rules, the dragon has to take that as his wish and turns it into a monster called Daemon. And uh, that's who you fight in the next room.
1: So you pull out your 400 blast arrows?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, that's what you should do.
0: Yeah, Daemon can be kind of bullshit, is the thing. There are encounters on the way to Daemon that are harder than Daemon. Like, there's a room with two condemned Gore cyclops in it. Damons easier than those, so you can at one point run, and I was barely strong enough to do notable damage, and this fight's a doozy.
3: Yeah.
2: It's awesome, though. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a really cool fight, even though he will kick your ass.
0: Yeah. He'll, like, fly and, like, smash through pillars and stuff, cast spells, do melee attacks, do grabs, and also he can summon a vortex, which leads right to the rift. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: It's an instant death and will send all your pawns to the Riff if you don't stagger him out of it. And if you get trapped in, you're fucked.
2: Yeah, but like the Gazer's big one-hit kill attack, if you manage to knock him out of it, it's a really good opportunity for damage. Mm-hmm. What happens is if you stop the Void from happening, he like goes into this sort of weird torpor state. Mm-hmm. And then if you do enough damage in that... You just straight up knock him flat on his ass. (laughs) Yep. So you get two different stun states for the daemon, basically. (laughs) The vortex attack sending your uh, pawns back to the rift is
1: extremely bad (laughs) on a second playthrough. Yes, once
0: you've knocked all the health out of daemon, you do get an ending cutscene where the Arisen Within is freed and Ulra, the woman who brought you to Bitter Black, reveals that she was the pawn who died at some point that looked like the arisen that the guy fell in love with. But that pawn possessed a dying arisen that was also named Aura that was on Bitter Black Isle, which is I guess the only reach they make in the lore and I guess I can see it making sense anyway. But yeah, they're all freed now and, you know, it it should be good, right? But then you get a quest that says you haven't really beaten Damon and when you go through bitter black again it is packed with super difficult enemies
2: despite the enemy layout being different and way way harder otherwise though it is the same journey down so the city right before Damon was in the first run abandoned but in the actual like second run, it is not abandoned anymore and mm-hmm. instead has one of two different layouts. One of the layouts, every street has an Eliminator on it and you can be chased by like eight Eliminators. Yep. And then if you think you can just run away from the Eliminators, the bridge that you must cross to get to the door where you fight Damon has three living armors guarding it. all standing next to each other. And then, like, the other configuration is there's, like, three drakes or something flying around. Yeah. In addition to them, there's also... I think it's just a bunch of living armors, right? I'm
1: pretty sure the living armor aspect is constant. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And then at
0: the bridge are eliminators.
2: Yeah, it reverses them. So it's bad. Either way, it is terrible, and you shouldn't fight anything. Instead, you should just run straight for the door.
0: Yeah, you can still beeline for the door, but yeah, once you're strong enough, then it's prime level
2: infinity spot. Even when I was level 200, I didn't want to fight fucking anything in that room. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh Damon
0: has a second form with some more dialogue, but it's more like cryptic. Humans are pathetic, but also very important. Fight me. I have never gotten in that fight, though. I do know that, like, it's more difficult than also the vague dragon pattern on its chest becomes a second face.
2: Yeah, a dragon's head grows out of its chest. That's when you
1: pull out an additional 400 passengers.
2: <laughs> First form is still there, but
0: that's the big change. It is kind of cool, though, because once you beat the first form, it looks normal, and then it cuts to your Arisen, and a pulse forms around the scar in their chest from when their heart got ripped out. But yeah, I consider myself as having finished the DLC without doing the second run of
3: Bitter
2: Black. Yeah, you really don't need to.
3: On the plus side, you do have a really high chance of Bitter Black level 3 gear from Damon. Yeah, there's a big treasure room afterward. It leads to my favorite technique where you save the game, stand in front of the chest, open it, and then kill yourself if it's not the thing you want. Yes,
0: after you uh, beat the main game, a sword appears in your inventory well, a dagger called the God's Bane. And if you just choose to use it, your character will just pull the sword out, and then you press another button, and you'll stab yourself with it and die.
2: Also, where we left off talking in the main game was pretty much right before this mechanic gets its explanation, but it is also the end of the game, so...
1: Things are about to go full Shin Megami Tensei up here, (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: As we head away from Bitter Black Isle, back to where we left off in the Everfall.
0: You get your 20 wake stones, and it opens up a portal in the Everfall, and you get to meet a figure called the Seneschal, who is, in a word,
2: God. (laughs) Might as well be God for what serves that purpose in this particular game universe. There's like
1: a total of like, was it like five endings total, and only one of them is the true ending <laughs>
2: uh, that you can get in just this fight? Only one of them came from acquiescing to Grigori. So the Seneschal
0: wants to fight you one on one, and if you lose this fight, your character will fall through the floor and you'll get a repeat of that cutscene of the dragon falling through a hole in space and entering the world of a bunch of monsters. And that's where dragons come from.
2: Yes, if you are an Arisen who has beaten your dragon but loses against the Seneschal in this part, you become the dragon for the next Arisen.
0: That said, it's very hard to lose
2: this fight,
1: so... Especially at this point, if you did... Bitter Black you're not gonna lose this fight. If
2: you beat Grigori, you're not losing this (laughs) fight. It's just kind of a formality for, like, honestly, the easiest way to get this ending is to use the God's (laughs) Bill to (laughs) lose on purpose. You can't kill me,
1: I'll kill me.
0: After you defeat this part, then you'll get a long tunnel full of people you've met across the game. You can turn back, and you'll enter a phantasmal version of Casterdus. You can bump into some NPCs, and they'll speak in a weird god voice, and you'll just live in a fake Casterdus for the rest of your life. That said, the Seneschal says that he'll grant you a quick death, so I'm guessing you imagine you live a fake full life in Cassardis, and then the Seneschal kills you, and you become a dragon. Most likely. He does say he'll hey, await the next, but they gotta get a new dragon somewhere, I mean, come on, you're right there. If you advance through this tunnel, all these characters will run at you. If you attack them once, they will die. And they have dialogue for when they see you and then when you kill them. Oh no, Quinoa doesn't want me to go further. Mercedes or Kina, like, fine, I get that. And then, like, the Duke is there, it's like, fuck this guy! Once you advance through the entire tunnel, though, the Seneschal will reveal his identity, and it's a van from the very beginning of the game. He killed his dragon and became god.
2: Which is cool, though also one of the things we didn't talk about regarding the Seneschal before is before the Seneschal's current identity is revealed, the Seneschal speaks with two voices. Uh, I forget, uh, one of them's a lady voice and the other's a dude voice I can't remember who the lady voice is but yeah, the dude voice is Gideon Emery so he sounds like fair which is <laughs> really cool Ah
0: <laughs> uh, yes, Gideon Emery <laughs> Vanquish Godhood, it's not what I was after but it'll do After the Seneschal reveals his identity you can defeat him Your pawn will join you and Savan's pawn, Saul will join
3: him and then you'll one-shot both of them. Yep. <laughs> Except you can't actually one-shot
1: them. It is the one specific time that you have to rely on a pawn to do something. And uh, about 30% of the
0: time, they'll decide to do it. <laughs> and you'll strike the final blow. And then you'll have a chat with Savan about what it means to be the Seneschal. And it turns out that His role is sort of like a fuel source for will for all beings in the world. Meaning that when you are summoning pawns, which are legions of sort of humans who only listen to you and believe in you, you are practicing to be
2: God. Because you impart your will upon them, which is what the Seneschal does. But with all humanity. (laughs) It's... wild.
0: That blew my mind. Yeah. Because the thing is, I expected the pawns to just be like a weird element of the world that they just like threw in and gave a weird kind of problematic explanation for, but then it turns out that they're very important to the overall cosmology of the world. (laughs)
1: So, after you truly finish off Savan with the God's Bane, you get the new objective to live as the Seneschal, where you basically have unlimited power but can do nothing with it. So, instead of waiting around for some other Arisen to come do the same thing you just did, uh, you can whip out the God's Bane and kill yourself, and that's how you get the (laughs) true (laughs)
2: ending. Yeah, because no other Seneschal before you has fought to do this because it kind of does have an unprecedented effect on the world. I like to think
0: that maybe the reason you did this is that your cycle was so different, because this is like a backstory comic for Sivan that sucks. Like, it, it's really boring. You had a very traditional, like, hero's adventure. Whereas you got waylaid by a bunch of bullshit busywork by the duke who sort of worked the eternal cycle of the universe into his stupid political game. (laughs) And so you're not someone who's worn down by struggling all the way to become God. It's like, well, this sucks. This whole cycle sucks. If you did the DLC, like, that's really messed up what happened. The cycle is
2: even worse than you thought it was. Yep. What happens when you do this is your pawn becomes you. Like, they still have the identity of the pawn, like their mind and voice, but your body. And they fall from the sky along with your corpse
3: into the ocean. So, like, if you have a cute girl avatar ar- arisen and then you're pawn is like a huge beefy guy with a deep ass voice your pawn is now a cutesy girl who has the voice of a fucking bear
0: (laughs) oh yeah your two bodies fall through the sky and land in the ocean you hear a sort of shout develop and your body wakes up shouting in your pawn's voice and then they look around and look at their own body it was funny for mine just because my main pawn was so small it's like you're huge now and an orc uh enjoy (laughs) and then they're supposed to be your beloved though some other things can change this will run up to you and comment on your character they might notice that it's you but it's not really you then you get the actual credits roll
1: Okay, so also a neat thing is after the credits roll, you do get the option to play a New Game Plus. Mm Mhm. Say you go all the way back through the game and get to the Seneschal again, and you play the game offline when you're fighting the Seneschal the second time. Instead of being Savan, the Seneschal will be your player character from the previous run.
4: Mm Mhm.
3: And if you're online, it will be some randos. Yeah, it'll be some randos.
0: Yeah, so you can fight like someone's weird
3: titty lady. Or is like, ha, here's
0: a super racist caricature. You can fight the Dragon's Dogma witty guy.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. That's the anime waifu side, not the racism side. Though I'm sure there's a chance you could bump into someone like that too. Like, hi, I'm God. It's like, I hope not.
3: I bumped into a pawn who was just Adolf Hitler, so. Yeah, you're not God.
2: Yeah, that's not nearly as good as Rook's son. <laughs>
3: I, I would fucking
1: die laughing if I got to the end of the day. and was like, Rook's son. <laughs> <laughs> the final
2: boss is escorted by Rook's son.
0: <laughs> also, New Game Plus doesn't change very much, like all the enemies' difficulties are the same. It resets the state of Bitter Black Isle so we will be on the first run again. All the story progression. I think your quest completion is kept but you don't get to keep any key items. The most important addition is Starfall Bay, the beach outside of Cassidus, when you leave town, has a stone that will warp you straight to the or dragon fight, so you can take it on whenever you want. I do kind of wish that, like, with the addition of Dark Arisen, that maybe New Game Plus could seed some of those newer enemies from Bitter Black into the world. Yeah. Because they are all new types and you just don't get to see them that much. It
3: would be nice to see just changes to difficulty that aren't just statistical, mm-hmm. like having more new harder enemies or even just like enemies being a little smarter
0: yeah also i was thinking like for the or dragon like outside of statistical increases its resistance has shifted instead of like increased so it'd be like oh what's well, it weak to now so like the community discussing it could have more to say other than it's back and it's harder yeah like its weaknesses have shifted oh it's got this new move that i haven't seen before oh it's doing this move in this cycle again so watch out for this they could even do like completely different mutations. One time it comes back, it has very little health, but it's extremely damaging and aggressive. And another time it's more of an endurance fight, like that could be really neat. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something like that in the quasi-sequel, but before we get to Dragon's Dogma Online, there is some scrapped content in this game. Mainly that the Everfall was originally going to be called the Endless Tower, and also the art book refers to some areas as the Deep Town. And it was going to be literally that, an endless chain that connects all the world.
1: And this literally meant it connected to other players playing Dragon's Dogma, and you could go into their world and just do shit. Mm
0: -hmm. Each world would technically be its own state, but then everyone in the Endless Tower be at the Endless Tower simultaneously. And this was almost certainly too ambitious for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360.
2: I think the problem though is it just compounds my main problem with Dragon's Dogma, which is that the plot only becomes interesting in the last hour. And a
0: half. <laughs> <laughs> also
2: that warp
0: that took you to the Seneschal was actually supposed to be a warp to a whole new final dungeon on the moon.
2: great, so it's just like Killer is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the only way that Dragon's Dolmature got better is if the final boss was like a fight out of Azura's Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine killing This killer is dead. <laughs> then use Luke's God's Bane, yeah. You can just say it if you want to you do it.
0: <laughs> I think those are some things I'd like to see in the sequel, is just more of that interconnectivity. Also, I think they could make your characters strong like in addition to just making the pawns as smart as they're supposed to be i mean this is kind of has some influence from character action games but outside of having really powerful special moves you can't jump off walls or jump off of enemies heads or anything and that would make you noticeably stronger but i don't think it would undercut the whole david versus goliath dynamic thing on it i think it just improve it really mm. maybe change inventory management change it to inventory tetris i love inventory tetris i like that better than carry weight <laughs> That way, instead, you've got to find the most efficient way to stack 400 blast arrows in your inventory.
3: (laughs) I don't know. With my playstyle, where I pick up literally everything I see, including, like, rocks and shovels, (laughs) that would be very hard for me. So let's talk about the actual
0: sort of Sequel to Dragon's Dogma, and then we can talk about what I'm sure Bo really wants to talk about, which is the sequel in Spirits. Me, you've played Dragon's Dogma online. How
3: is that? It seems pretty interesting. It still has a really satisfying combat. Unfortunately, some of the monster gimmicks are lost, like you can't kill the individual heads of chimeras. Huh. You're definitely less powerful than you were in Dragon's Dogma, and you have kind of less variety in your skills, which is a balancing mechanism, because... They want you to actually party with people. Also, weirdly, some of the monsters are uh, just straight-up Vespoids from Monster Hunter. <laughs> like, not even they look like them. It's the same model. <laughs> <laughs> same animation, same model, same everything.
0: Also, I know it has, like, big world boss encounters, too. World, you say? <laughs> hey, hold on. Just one other thing is we mentioned how definitive the ending of dragon's dogma is dragon's dogma online is not a sequel it's set in like a different continuity the setup for Arisen in this one is actually that a benevolent white dragon had a showdown with a golden dragon in the past and it was critically wounded so it makes people into a risen to defend it and the city that is formed around this white dragon pretty cool twist
3: on the lore i will also say the classes is- are really yeah.
0: cool oh, now yeah yeah the, i have to explain the punching
3: there's an alchemist class where you have like golden fists that you punch things with and in punching them you implant little explosive crystals into the monster that eventually blow up you can also do mid-air jumps with just a ridiculously stylish animation where you basically create a little portal you bounce off of. Oh yeah, it's like an air hike and Devil May Cry. Also, they added a spear class to the game as well, and that one's pretty neat too.
0: Spears are curiously completely absent from Dragon's Dogma, a medieval fantasy game.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a shame.
0: With how much Dragon's Dogma hems maybe too close to Dungeons & Dragons like replicating it, because I, I guess Itsuno's a big fan and wanted to do that. Sort of like how Vanquish Hem's really close to a third-person shooter because they really wanted to make one. That now with online, they like like, it's an alchemist. You know, they punch crystals into shit. <laughs> All right, Bo, go ahead.
1: Okay, so Monster Hunter World comes out in 12 days.
0: <laughs> well, it's not going to be done by then. Like, come on, just say it's out. I'm not going to finish this <laughs> in 12 days. <laughs>
1: Okay, uh, Monster Hunter World will come out in negative 400 <laughs> <God> days. <damn it. laughs>
2: Monster Hunter World came out in 2018.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but the point is, like you can see where Monster Hunter inspired a lot of stuff in Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma, in turn, inspired some changes in the formula to Monster Hunter in Monster Hunter World. So you have the more... Like you know, the more open setup in our uh, world, there's a lot more in the way of questing and everything like that, similar to how you can pick up quests from random people in Dragon's Dogma. It feels a lot more like an RPG as opposed to just sort of an action game with some RPG trappings. Really, I'm just super hyped for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we've I think we've all played the beta at this point, right? I
1: mean, don't you mean that we've all played the full game at this point? <laughs> in 2021?
2: <laughs> at the point of this recording, we've all played the beta. At the point of this being released, yeah, we probably also all played the full game. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm waiting for the PC version, and this will come out before the fall of this year. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee that much. But um, I think a lot of the ways the weapons would would be pretty great to put back into a Dragon's Dogma game. And also, like, mounting monsters in world is very different i would enjoy beating the trap out of gregory with a hunting horn
1: (laughs) (laughs) i feel like if you played a whole lot of dragon's dogma and have not tried monster hunter yet then monster hunter world may be a thing to replace dragon's dogma for you for a little while
0: yeah i mean especially if you really like the big monster fights but maybe weren't too hot on the lack of variety (laughs) Dragon's Dogma definitely backloads a lot of the variety in its monster encounters. The world still doesn't have, like, great small enemies to fight, but that's just kind of how the series has been, and it doesn't bother me too much. Alright, so we got a couple of emails. So our first one comes in from Rob Parker. Uh, I did trim this one down a bit, Rob, sorry, but...
1: You did send us a very comprehensive list of, like, cool shit in Dragon's Dogma.
0: <laughs> hey all I played the holy hell out of Dragon's Dogma on the PS3 at launch. I repurchased it when Dark Risen came out, and then again when it came out on PC. I'm probably going to wind up with the PS4 version at some point when it goes on sale, because I am that monster. Here are some lessons that Dragon's Dogma taught me about interesting game design. Day-night cycles can be incredibly meaningful instead of just subtle changes to mood and lighting. Everyone I know that played Dragon's Dogma has a story about the first night that they were caught out in the dark and either panicked and died, or endured a long, bloody, stressful fight back to Grand Soren.
2: My reaction to whenever night comes is just, ah, it's fucking dark again, time to take out my- ah, I'm out of oil. Fuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've had some intense nights.
3: That is why I carry a ton of oil in my lanterns, but also like I have been in situations where I was low level and just wandering through Francis and then just run straight into a chimera and get mauled.
0: The only other game I've seen put this mechanic to good use was Dying Light, and it didn't, strictly speaking, populate the world with gigantic fuck off zombies with a goat on their back that can cast spells, so I'm gonna call that only a middling success. There's a certain joy to how this game handles romance. There's certainly NPCs that are earmarked and designed to be romance, but you can romance just about anybody in the game, and the game picks who your soulmate is based on affinity. One thing that owned was seeing forum threads from dudes that were super distressed, that the game decided they were in love with the blacksmith,
3: because he's the main, only NPC they did stuff for. That's part of my favorite thing about the romance system is people just getting gay married to random characters. Either to the innkeeper or to the blacksmith?
2: They're masterworks all, you can't go wrong. <laughs> but
3: the
0: rationale around the pawn system is kinda of fucked up, right? Like it's weird to be thinking about pawns and dragons dogma in the context of ongoing discussions of orc slavery and the Shadow of Mordor games, right? If there's any in-depth discussion of this stuff when it came out, it blew right past me. Maybe it's a sign that things have changed a bit. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is there kind of hasn't been any in depth discussion. Dragon's Dogma keeps coming out and people are like, oh, it's so good. But like that big deep dive has not come out yet, really.
2: Yeah, no one cares. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm saying though, no one does.
0: Dragon's Dogma has endgame content that dramatically changes how the world functions. Not once, but twice. The first is toward the end of the main story and the Everfall opens up. The second time is after you kill the final final boss and can take this place as the sort of god of this world and you just can't do anything. It's this horrifically nihilistic ending where you're plopped in the world, you have endless power, but can't interact with anything in any meaningful way. To complete the game, you need to dig around your info and commit suicide with a dagger that can only kill a god or something? Did I mention you become god and need to commit suicide to end the game? How fucking Molgoth is that shit? Holy hell yeah! yep God in Dragon's Dogma is both God, the person who's always watching you and also God is the rules of the universe it's like the worst of both worlds (laughs) because you have to be a person but you can't do anything
3: it's probably the only game I can think about where the act of killing yourself is something the game encourages you to do and not like a heroic sacrifice you just don't want to do something, so you murder yourself. I can't imagine any other game making you do that. Because
2: it's impossibly weird in this game. (laughs) (laughs)
3: That
0: final fight with Grigori, it's all live, live, live. It's like, okay, so that's the point of this game, is to live. But then an entity killing yourself, but when you're quote-unquote human, the point is to live. And then once you're a god, there's nothing to do. And that is kind of an interesting way to look at like any RPG plot where the villain <laughs> wants to become god. It's like, oh what are you gonna do? There's nothing to do once you become god. Great are oh, you gonna reshape the world or something? And then So I I actually did really dig that. I like Dark Arisen a bit, but didn't get super duper deep into it. I get that they're trying to try evoke a kind of Dark Souls vibe, but part of Dragon's Dogma's
2: charm was its big rolling fields. <laughs> no I, disagree. <laughs> I like i respectfully disagree <laughs> came out
0: pretty close to Dark souls i guess demon souls could have been a, an influence but i feel like bitter black is much more on the dungeons and dragons side of the equation yeah i
1: would definitely say that bitter black Owl's primary inspiration is probably eye of the beholder yeah
0: i mean especially because difficulty in dragon's dogma outside of pure numbers uses status effects pretty heavily And not the kind of enemy attack patterns and stuff that Dark Souls derives its difficulty from. I do like rolling fields a bit as a change of pace, but they could be better rolling fields. They could have things in them. (laughs) At the time I played Dragon's Dogma, I had not been playing a ton of PS3 generation games. So they were still some of the best rolling fields I'd seen at the time.
2: The only game I think I've played where it was a rolling field where there was actually nothing in it that I thought it was neat was Breath of the Wild. Because <laughs> that, like, that game is full of a lot of places that have nothing in it. I don't know, something about that game's atmosphere makes it work for me, whereas in Dragon's Dogma it just feels boring.
0: Dragon's Dogma doesn't feel very like pastoral. It feels much more like you're involved in a plot with lots of people Weirdly, I think Breath of the Wild has more NPCs of, like, note in it. Oh, and he signs up. Anyways, keep up the great work on your podcast. They're masterworks all. You can't go wrong. Thank you very much, Rob. And also, I opened up the Twitter direct messages for this, and former guest Phoenix sent, So, since I was kindly reminded to get off my ass and submit a question, sorry, ours. he is from the UK, and submit a question, here's one for you. What's the biggest holy shit moment for you all when you first played the game? A battle, a plot beat, whatever. For me, it'd be either my first successful battle with the Drake or my first Daemon kill. Both I went into woefully unprepared, somehow managed to beat, even if by the skin of my teeth.
1: My dude, did you just listen to the entirety of the part where we described the
3: ending? <laughs> <laughs> My holy shit moment was finding the hairstyle that just inspired me and made me know it was my destiny to make He-Man and make He-Man again and (laughs) again. (laughs) His hair. It's perfect.
2: It's identical to He-Man's hair. It is exactly Prince Adam's haircut. Like, it is that, that page boy cut. It is precisely (laughs) that haircut, yes. I think otherwise we've all
0: discussed it already.
2: I agree with myself from the last recording, which is that the best part of the game is Grigori. That fight is real solid and real cool. It is super Mm -hmm. good.
0: Also lost from our last recording, I agree that the second most mind-blowing part was realizing that the Ur-Dragon was maybe the inspiration for Peter Molyneux's curiosity.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The the one joke that we're sad we (laughs) love. You chip away at
0: you're a dragon and get the prize and then you become goddess. But being god is not as good
2: as you thought it was gonna be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a perfect analogy.
0: (laughs) Alright, so, if you want to buy Dragon's Dogma, the original, very original version's like five bucks, and if you want to play with the really busted uh, assassin augments that are really good, that they turned way down in Dark Horizon, you can do that. Also, there's some equipment from the Berserk series on the console releases, the PS3 and 360. So if you want to dress as Guts and have really great augments, you can do that. Otherwise, it's 10 bucks for Dark Risen on PS3 and 360, which is still a decent way to play the game if you don't have something newer. But I would recommend, if you have anything nicer, to just wait on a sale, because normally the PC version and Xbox One, PS4 releases are 30 bucks. When it came out on GOG, it was $11. bucks. it has gone on sale regularly for a lower price and is the absolute best way to play. Also, if you play on PC, there are mods you can use. The most interesting one is called the D-Input 8 mod. I'll link it in the show notes. But it lets you freely set whatever skills and stats you want. You can change the world state. Recommend playing in offline mode on Steam if you're doing this, because I feel like it might trip their anti-cheating stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. You said that was the most interesting one, but the very next mod you listed was the ability to restore into free as the title screen uses it. So honestly, I feel
2: like you've misled us already. I mentioned that because
0: I can't find it.
2: Also, it's the best mod, but it's not the most interesting one. It just makes the game like it was when it came
0: <laughs> The music file that they play on the title screen is in a different format. So I don't think you can't just like find an MP3 and drop it in the folder. And also there are various shader and texture mods. I think I'll just link the moddb page for this, but a lot of the example screenshots and YouTube videos are extremely embarrassing because it's clear the person who made it was extremely horny. <laughs> Look at how my risen's breasts glisten in the water. It's like, no, stop.
2: This is the Eleanor's boobs are out mod. <laughs>
1: So so it was made by the Dragon's
0: Dogma wiki guy. Oh god, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You don't have to stop being horny, but you can't stay here. If I'm going to be horny in Dragon's Dogma, I'm keeping it in the home,
3: alright? That's all I'm saying. Apparently, most of the Dragon's Dogma community doesn't agree with you, because holy shit, the pawns you can find. (laughs) Oh boy, it's a girl who's like four feet tall and dressed in a fucking chainmail bikini and her breasts (laughs) are at the max size and holy fuck what is wrong with you dude also her inclinations are guardian acquisitor filthy
2: that does remind me though one of the things we didn't talk about which is during the credits like the actual final credits it will show the most prominent pawns you use for the longest my most recent playthrough was all right, here's Magnus, my character, and Taco, and also their best buddy, Claire Redfield.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love Frankenstein.
0: All right, I think that'll about do it for this episode of We Thought About Games. So, Bo, if uh, people want to follow you online, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Doc Hospital. Other than that, you can't find me. I'm shredding all my credit cards right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, my primary method of content is Twitter. I occasionally post on LP Zone, on YouTube. You can find me. My YouTube channel is called Bohamius. I'm on Twitch as Bohamius as well. My schedule is all over the place right now. <laughs> right now being January, so by the time this comes out, it might be July. I'll probably have an LP in Monster Hunter World
2: going by then. Yeah. All right. Goggler, I, uh, I know they can't find you online. Well, you're not going to find me on purpose. <laughs> you might hear me guesting in things, like uh, as of the time of his recording, CoBuddy put up an episode of the Mario Party LP, I'm in that. If you want to hear me play as Wario and get mad about board games, <laughs> I just kind of guessed in other people's shit. <laughs>
0: All right, Mihal, for... what is this the fourth, fifth time if we're including streams? Where can they find
3: you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter as Sarah Ottenberg, where I will just post really gay shit and also angst and also horrible video game monstrosities.
0: <laughs> yep. And you can find me still at BeamsplashX on Twitter, I've turned the corner on saying my jokes are bad and now it's official that all my tweets are good. If you just want to follow the show, you can follow Thought ABT Games on Twitter. That's also where we'll put out the call for guests and responses and announce streams. You can find the blog for the site at wethoughtaboutgames.com, which will link you to the Tumblr, where you can find show notes, as well as a collection of all the related media for each episode. There'll be the blog post art, There will be the links to various websites where the episode is hosted. Click below the more reading links for the bonus episodes. I hope no one's missed those. Also, streams will be listed below the more reading cut. I think that about sums it up. So, I hope you all enjoyed listening. Thank you, and keep thinking. Good night.